Oh, you know what time it is. It's time to take it to the burn land. It's about to go down. Hope you're all ready. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. go. Come and roll with me to the burn land. Friends got to giving you the word, man. Any other BS is absurd, man. Sports talk and they give it to you firsthand. They can talk turps. They can talk O's. Yeah, they both lit. That's how it goes. Baltimore squad. Ravens and Poe. Better tune in. Here gonna show. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. BS. Birdland, Birdland, Birdland. BS. It's all about that BS, baby. What's up, BSers? We are back. We are. It took a week hiatus, but we're back in the studio. Refreshed. Like we never left. Fred, Scott, Ryan, and James in the studio as Drew has the night off. Keeps his COVID butt at home. <laughs> Not that he has COVID. No, we're yeah. just kidding. I don't know if COVID can be used as an excuse as vacation, but <laughs> he's uh, taking a hiatus this week. He's uh, going to be commenting in the chat room like he used to. Some work in on the chat room, like yeah, good old days for sure. <laughs> we got a lot to talk about on this week's show. Uh, we're gonna talk about the Ravens continuing to have some changes on the coaching staff, uh, some coming, some going, kind of continuing things that have been happening over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we've gotten some clarity, at least the bottom end of what the salary cap number is going to look like, right? At least the floor of the cap. Talk about that. We're going to put our Eric DaCosta hat on, look at some free agency rumors out there that have been kind of swirling around social media. Quite a few interesting ones. I'm, I'm curious to get your takes on, on that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Terps football, continuing to recruit, uh, bringing in some key pieces. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Hoop squad starting to get things together at the right time, playing some of their best basketball this season. So we're talk about that. Uh, speaking of season, spring training. <laughs> Underway, yes, down in Florida with the birds. Uh, full squad reported as today. of today. So, we're gonna talk a little bit about that as they bring in yet another former all star pitcher that would have been a good signing maybe five, six, seven, eight, nine years ago. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna talk a little bit about that, whether that was right or not. And uh, we got some stolen items, some kids heckling, and NASCAR winners in this week's rundown. So an interesting shake thing on things, on things. But before we do too much with this show, I do want to say uh, our thoughts and prayers and well wishes are out with Tiger Woods right now. Right before the show, a couple hours before the show, yeah. uh, news had come out that he was in a, uh, a terrible car accident. Sounds like non-life-threatening injuries. Uh, he rolled his car apparently off an embankment or off of a... Uh, off a hill or something. It, so... Look, he's in here's, surgery. Here's the thing. Yeah. He's in surgery. Look, injuries I don't know. to his legs. His, his, both of them are saying multiple injuries to both legs. Yeah. Um, you know, he obviously already has back problems. Depending on how severe these injuries are, I mean, the fact that they immediately put him in surgery right. makes you curious, right? Part of it may be money because he's got the money to be able to do it, but part of it could be the seriousness of the injuries. Right. Um, and so it's – I don't know that I can say with any confidence that I can see – Tiger Woods ever playing golf competitively again at a high level. Um, it may, you know, maybe in like the seniors tour with after recovery and stuff like that. It's but early. It's early. It's you early. know, we hope that, you know, it's, it's not as severe as it sounds, but right it's now also, it doesn't look good. It's also early, but worth pointing out. There's some concerning pieces to this and I'm not going to, there, there are no 
facts that I'm saying that this is the case, but there's some things that are pointing things in a negative direction. It was a single car collision, just him, really early in the morning, right? out of nowhere. We know Tiger has a history. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it. I was sitting here thinking it with you, but I wasn't going to say it. I, I, I wasn't either, but I, I understand. I falling asleep Listen. in a car and being woken up by some police, so right. I hope it's not involved. I hope right. not either. We're not speculating <laughs> or anything like that. It's no, just... it's just the, the fa- it's interesting that the facts are coming out where you're not hearing one way or, or the other uh, f- from the media or from anybody close to the situation. So it's it's a little weird that we're not getting a lot of those details. Usually that would be something that could come out like like that. But Regardless, first and foremost, his health well is what's most safety, important. Yeah. We hope that uh, he has a speedy recovery. Hope he gets through this okay. Uh, but yeah, we got a lot to talk about on the show. But before we do, I want to remind you, if you've ever been injured at work or in an auto accident and weren't sure who to call, 855-MD-CRASH. The Maryland Personal Injury Attorneys, it'll have your back. If you find yourself in that unfortunate situation like I have a couple of times, give our team at MD-CRASH a call right away. We all know the cost of medical bills, lost wages, pain and suffering. It all adds up quickly and could potentially put you in a bad financial place. Well, if you want a team that will handle your case, big, small, doesn't matter, and just give you some peace of mind, save this number now, 855-MD-CRASH. It's 855-632-7274. Be sure to follow them on Facebook for some fun giveaways, including tickets and gift cards to some local restaurants. All right, Scott, it is time for some Ravens flock talk, which uh, before we do dive into this too much, we do want to make an announcement. I don't know for for you fans out there of the show that uh, don't stay for the entire show because you guys are just Raven fans only or whatever it may be. Uh, Fan of the show, Garnett West. Uh, You follow him on Twitter at Garnett. not even sure what his Twitter tag is. I think it's just at Garnet West. As it? Or, yeah, Garnet West be. 27, maybe. He's going to be calling into the show during the after hours. He's got some things going on with work, uh, but he wants to talk some wide receiver uh, talk with us. So that'll be fun getting him involved in the show. So make sure you guys come back for the after hours portion of the show, 945, 10 o'clock ish, I'm assuming. We'll probably be <laughs> around about there usually about where we are. At Garnet 478. Right. Okay. But uh, all right. So let's, let's dive into some of the coaching changes that took place this week. Uh, as former running back coach Matt Weiss is now gone, right, headed to the University of Michigan to be their new quarterback coach. That's now the ninth coach that has left the Ravens organization in the offseason. Some of this was expected. Some of this we knew was going to happen. Some of this we we wanted. We wanted to see some change. You know, obviously there was a lot of question marks around you know, the offense and Greg Roman and scheme and all that stuff. And if you're not going to make the change with Roman, we needed to see some changes. And we saw that with the new wide receiver coach, the new uh, pass game coordinator, things like that. But Matt Weiss, you know, you're talking about a record setting running game. You know, that's, that's, that's a big loss for this Ravens team. Yeah, I mean, it's a guy that you, you look at what he's been able to do with the run game and the guys that we've had, the guys that we brought in, you know, the, the, the development very quickly uh, that, that it that was J.K. Dobbins, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Justice Hill didn't square out exactly how we wanted it to, but that situation could be, you know, carry somewhat. Um, obviously, the trust in Mark Ingram, but then the uh, obvious transition, you would, you would imagine that he was, he played a role in saying, like, look, we got to feed J.K. more than we're feeding Ingram. I understand we're paying Ingram, but Ingram's not getting us anywhere. And, you know, he maybe had some, inside looks is what that running back room looked like. And so losing that value um, and that control in that running back room, I'm not going to say it's disconcerting, but it's just something, it's something to watch. 
yeah. something for us to watch in the future. I know a lot of the uh, the players, including running back Gus Edwards, uh, had nothing but glowing things to say about Weiss on his way out, uh, saying that, you know, University of Michigan's getting a great one. So it's, yeah. it's going to be a miss, you know, for the players. But it didn't take long for the Ravens to have a contingency plan in place as they ended up promoting longtime Ravens offensive assistant Craig Versteeg as um, the new running back coach. He actually joined the Ravens staff with Harbaugh back in 2008. So he's been with the team for quite a bit. He knows Harbaugh. He knows the system that we're running. He knows everything that's going on. So hopefully, like I said, it, it's it'll be something to watch, but it will be it should be for a guy like him, a plug and play type situation. He should be able to jump straight in and pick up where Weiss left off. And in all reality, maybe even because of his experience and being around, you know, and being around guys like a Ray Rice who, who did well, that can help translate to some of these other guys, right? You know, give, give JK a little bit more experience, a little bit of, uh, you know, pep talks at times, things like that. So now that's very true. That's very true. So, <clears throat> Today on social media, I was on Twitter for a little bit when I was uh, coming over here to do the show, and uh, I saw some not rumblings. on social media and driving at that, all. No, no, not at all. <laughs> Safety first, kids. Um, I listen. There hasn't been a whole lot of Ravens talk really for the last couple of weeks on social media. Not a ton. It's it's just been the same recycled stuff right. for the last couple of weeks, and everybody's doing their mock drafts and whatnot. So today I hop on and I look around, and there's some rumblings around Willie Sneed. I'm like, what the hell is going on with Willie Sneed? So Willie Sneed put out some interesting comments today, some interesting tweets. It's got Ravens fans a little little up in arms, some agreeing on his side, some not. And I'm going to preface the, t the tweets that you're about to read yeah. with a tweet that he actually had last week, which was that he's going to do what's right basically to feed his family. He's going to do what's right for his family. Yeah. So there was already a cryptic tweet there, and then today things just kind of blew up. Yeah, I don't – listen – I fully respect Willie Sneed and going through the free agency process and doing what's best for him and his family and all that stuff. Like I have no qualms with that. It's just some of the stuff, you know, these guys are starting to, to get voices and starting to speak out on social media. And, and Willie put out a tweet today and he said, any receiver can be a true number one. If they are in a system that allows them to be what they do after that is on him. 100. So followed that up. After that, Hollywood Brown retweeted it with 100, so he agreed with Willie Sneed on that. Willie Sneed follows that up with no shade, just facts. Then, when somebody calls him out on it, this is a fan calling out Willie Sneed. The tweet from the fan read, laugh out loud, no, a true number one is based off talent. Guys like Devontae and D-Hop and even young guys like A.J. Brown are true number one because of their talent. You were a number one on the Ravens by default, but not anyone could be a true number one. That was what a fan wrote. Okay. So Willie responded to that. You give any receiver 100-plus targets, if they're worth a damn, they'll be considered a number one because they've had plenty of opportunities to show it. If you're going to talk, speak facts, not name drop. Here's the thing. There's a lot to digest there, with There's that. a lot to digest with that, and I don't have a problem with Willie Sneed speaking out and putting his feelings out on social media. I'm okay with that. Nick Short, he's a free agent. We can't cut him. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily 100% agree with him, though, because... Even a little bit. The way that that tweet, or those tweets are worded is that anybody could be a true number one receiver if they're given the opportunities. That's not true. The number one wide receivers, when you're... I, I hate the term number one wide receiver to begin with. I've been saying that for years. I can't stand it, but yeah. if we're going to go down this road... 
everybody's that's the problem with true number one receivers. Everybody's definition of true number one receiver can be different. In my eyes, a true number one receiver are guys like the Devontae Adams, the Stefan Diggs, you know, these guys that separate themselves and create opportunities and maximize those opportunities. Yes, you can force feed any wide receiver of your choosing a hundred targets if you choose to do so. But what are you getting out of that wide receiver? That's what makes somebody a number one wide receiver. It's the guys like Devontae Adams who know they're going to be doubled, who know they're going to be going up against the best corners, but yet still can create separation, yeah, can still make the plays, can still catch the fucking football at an alarming rate when the ball's thrown to you. Yes. That is what a true number one wide receiver is, in my opinion. I'm not saying that that this offense – Talking about the Ravens offense in general, right? Could Willie Sneed be more productive in this offense if he's given more opportunity? Yep. I think Hollywood Brown could be more productive in this offense. Just talking statistically. Right. Could be more productive in this offense if he's given more opportunity. I agree with that. But I don't agree with Hollywood Brown, <laughs> Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, anybody on this roster would be a true number one wide receiver if you put them with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, if you put them with with Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. They are not what the true definition of a number one wide receiver is, which is somebody who can create separation, use their body to their advantage, and make plays even when they're guarded. So I think you hit the nail on the head, and when it comes to number one wide receivers, there's another thing that goes into it. Four-letter word. Work. Yeah. That's what it, some of it is gifted talent I, for guys. I yes. get that. And I'm never going to question Willie Sneed's work ethic. I'm not going to connect question hold, hold anybody's on. work ethic because I don't know what their work ethic is. I don't know, but here's what I do know. Did we hear about Willie Sneed going down in the offseason and practicing with Lamar Jackson? We did hear about it. No. Okay. But we heard about that with Hollywood Brown. Okay. We don't know that he's necessarily both true in guy. the Florida area. It, it COVID. There were a lot of things this year that could paint the picture. I didn't hear about it last year. Sneed's never been a number one. No, no, he hasn't. No, (laughs) Willie Sneed, Willie Sneed, I love him. And he would never be a number one. But the the issue is, is you talk about it and it has everything to do with with, with work. And I'm not going to question his work ethic, but I don't see him putting forth the, the extra mile. That's what number ones are able to do is they put forth the extra mile. Some of them, absolutely, you're 100%. They have a raw talent. DeAndre Hopkins has a raw talent, period. Right. But when you also look at him, he puts in the work. Guys say he's like the first man in. He's the last man out. He's working with whatever QB he's working with. Right. He was down there working with Kyler. It was there. It was obvious. Willie Sneed was also the first one to mouth off last year about not getting enough receptions. Well, maybe if you'd stop dropping the ball every four throws, that wouldn't happen. Do you get yards after the catch? You are one of the best at yards after the catch, in my opinion. I agree with that. But the other thing on is this that, roster. On this roster. But the other thing this year is Willie Sneed wasn't creating separation. He never has. That's that's been part of his downfall. Is he's never been one to be able to create separation. He's he's a guy that is <clears throat> nobody's gonna call him a number one because of there's is he a talented athlete? Absolutely. But does he have that raw, natural talent that you look at when you see a guy that's drafted early you know no he doesn't could he could he work did he work to get where he got at yes don't be mad because there's other guys that 
don't have to put in the work, or if they do, they're just that much better because they're big body physical guys that can and, go up and pinpoint and a ball. That's my point. The 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 true number one is the complete package, right? They're the guys that use their body like a power forward does in basketball to kind of create positioning to be able to go up and win those 50-50 balls. Those 50-50 balls become 75-25 balls with those number one, true number one receivers. They're the guys that can beat you with their football IQ. They're the guys that can beat you with the double moves. They're the guys that, that run route trees they're watching to their, perfection. They're watching their, their opponent's footwork right. and looking at that. And yeah. there's really only a handful of guys in the league. I'd say there's probably... 10 that I would clap me personally that I would classify as true number one receivers. Are there good receivers out there? Yes. Tyreek Hill. I think he's a good wide receiver. I don't think that he's a true number one receiver. I think he's a good wide receiver in a great system with a great quarterback. So there's an interesting twist to this story that James showed us before. And we're having the, some of the fans chime in some people, Jamal uh, Craig, they're saying that they don't feel that that tweet was about him. And it, and Jamal, you could be right. He said, I don't think Sneed was talking about himself as being the number one. Now, I don't, I don't think he was talking about himself, but what he was saying is that in the way I took anybody it, can be a number, everybody the, can be a number one anybody, wide receiver. Anybody could be a number one wide receiver if they're giving opportunities, if they're given opportunities, and that's wrong. That's just flat out wrong. There are people in this league that are just more athletically gifted, have better physical traits, and that are just a better overall receiver. You know, even in high school, you know, we, we had multiple receivers that, that did different things that brought different facets to the game. I could force feed 100 balls to each one of those receivers. I'm going to get different results from each one of those receivers. Just because they're given opportunity doesn't mean that they're maximizing on it and doesn't mean that they're going to create the plays off of it. Go ahead, James. Two things. I think there's two different types of number ones. You got the number ones that are just gifted, like the, yeah. the DK yeah. Madcaps and and um, Adams and Michael Thomas. But then you got the ones that are like Jerry Rice. He says he's not the fastest, but he knows how to run the routes. Yeah. When you know how to run the routes, you get open, you become that number one. There's two different number ones, and we don't right now. We don't have any of that. And that's the problem is that it's not one attribute, right? If it was just speed that made somebody a true number one wide like receiver, Hill, but, uh, Hollywood, Hollywood Brown, be yeah. Hollywood would be fine. But that's not the case. Like, right? there's it's a total package. And like I said, in my opinion, there's about ten of them in the league. Go ahead, Ron. I I, I do want to um, disagree with you on one point. I do think that a lot more people, not everybody, but a lot of people, can go be Aaron Rodgers number one. We saw that with Jordy Nelson. The second Jordy Nelson the left there, I knew he was done. The production that you're going to get out of those guys. Yes, every every team has a quote-unquote number one wide receiver by default. Yeah. But the production you're going to get out of the Devontae Adams versus, versus a Nelson. Willie Sneed, <laughs> if he's in that number one, it's, it's, it's varying yeah. by a large margin. They play a different it, receiver game. It takes yeah. a completely different person to go be Mitch Trubisky's number one, which is why we all want Allen Robinson, because you, it, Lamar might not be the greatest accurate passer. He's been dealing with that his whole career, and he's still great. Right. If you want to go take Kenny Galladay, I love Galladay, but Matthew Stafford's a hell of a quarterback, so he might be stepping back when you're talking about the passing game. I don't know. Right. Yeah, I think the other thing too that we when you're looking at the the full situation and what he may be talking about, you know, Des and that's what I was alluding to James showed us before the sh the show is that Des tweeted out, 
you know, that he, he agreed with him and was speaking from, you know, experience and it wasn't, it was no bad blood, but they're just saying this wasn't designed. So there's kind of a flip side to this in that your receivers aren't, aren't happy, right? What have we talked about is going to lead to the success of this offense? It's having a balanced attack, right? If you don't have the guys that are, that are willing to and, do it and a guy that, that caught that, let's, let's not knock Willie Sneed in the sense that, you know, yes, I get it. He was, he's never really been a number one, but he, what he was productive when Drew Brees was his quarterback, right. right? It's a different style. It is a different system. I think there is something to be said that this system takes a certain type of wide receiver. Oh, and that's, we've all known that, right? right? It takes a tip. But how do we know it? And they don't. Well, we forgot to draft Metcalf and got Hollywood Brown instead. So it makes sense. <laughs> Does Metcalf, is Metcalf as productive under this offense as is, he is there? Is because Met- he's going to lay a block like on every run that would make him worth it in our system. Is Metcalf the receiver in this offense that he is in Seattle? No. That's what I'm saying. Because like, it's I a different right, offense. Right, exactly. That's what my point Does Does uh, Metcalf have more success in this offense than Hollywood Brown? Yes. yes. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yes. I think he might have more touchdowns here, too. He's not going to have the yardage. Well, because but you're going to block down all the way down the field and then be a giant red zone target. I mean, not, not only is in he fairness, a deep threat. In fairness, over the last two years, there's only like three or four wide receivers that have more receiving touchdowns than Hollywood Brown in the yeah. last two yeah. years. But when it comes when it comes to DK, if we're bringing up DK, the thing about DK is DK ha- DK has most facets of his game. One of the one of the things we heard was just the route running wasn't the cleanest, right? But he's got blow by you speed. I mean, the man ran what ninety yards to tackle a guy from getting into yeah, the that end was zone, unreal. right? Yeah. Then then you have the fact that he God he's gift. able to right he's able to high point the ball in the middle of the field. He's able to high point the ball in the corner. He's able to take it over the middle and be physical. Yep. He can do he has, you know, I talk I think about baseball and I think about a five-tool player, right? And we talk about baseball rotations and the, you know, you have the fifth man in the rotation. This, Willie Sneed is like taking your number 3 in a rotation and putting him as a number 1 for the Orioles. That's kind of what's happened, yeah. right? And you mean so like what you, the Orioles do every year? Kind of. Willie exactly. Sneed <laughs> is a number three on any NFL team, in my opinion. Was he a number two at one point? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. I believe in, 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 in this in St. Louis or not St. Louis in, in New Orleans. <laughs> I got Saints and New Orleans mixed up. In New Orleans, he yes, I think he he peaked at a number two, right? But I don't think he was ever a true never number one guy. So Alex said, this offense better do something different this year. We're going to have a mess, and everyone will be lashing out about Roman. So I think Hollywood kind of hit the nail on the head with his comment uh, after the season, which was this passing attack, this passing game, ranked 32nd in the league. Something's wrong in that. And it's not – I'll be the first one to say it. We don't have the best wide receiver core in the NFL, but I don't think we have the 32nd ranked NFL, you know, wide receiver core in the NFL. Right. There is – Definitely needs to be more balance in this offense. And that's what I think we're all looking to hope see change. And I think some of the the new coaches, some of the new faces in there, if Greg Roman is open for, you know, conversation on designs and route, route, uh, route running route concepts and changing some things, that's where we'll see this offense take the next step into 2021. Uh, but again, this team isn't built to be a Kansas City. This team no. isn't built to be a Green Bay. We are. We don't want to get away from our bread and butter. Our bread and butter is being a dominant, run the ball, control the clock, control time of possession team. That's what we are built on. That's what our. We're still one of the most uh, highest output offenses in the league as far as points per game. 
But yes, I do agree. This passing attack needs to be more involved in the offense. And I think that's what Willie's going for. And I know I think it was Joe that chimed in and said, you know, Willie getting destroyed. He put himself out there. That's the difference is he put himself out there with these statements, you know, and there's not a whole lot to back it up. When you when you have a guy, Willie Sneed, you want to know what Willie Sneed's great at and why he was so effective was because he was a third down receiver. Right. You get the ball to him over the middle when you got four yards to get, you throw him at three yards and he could get you five, six, seven yards and, and really get you that first down. That's when you're throwing. He's never been a guy that you're going over the middle on a first or second down throw. He's never been a guy that you're going really deep on, especially except for maybe early in his career. He's never been that with the Ravens. Right. That's what an, a number one can do it all. They can get deep and go deep and get open. They can get the, the ball over the middle. They can be physical. You can run gadget plays with them out of the backfield. Right. Right. There, there's ways to do it. And I'll tell you what, there are guys that are his size that are number ones. Right. Tyreek Hill, prime example. Tyreek Hill, we all agree, is a number one wide receiver, period. Yeah. Well, Fred just said no. I, he's, not a number, he's not a true number one wide receiver. You put Tyreek Hill. But you Hill, just talked about not using the definition of a true number one. No, no, no. I don't think Tyreek Hill is a true number one wide receiver. I think Tyreek Hill is a very good wide receiver in a very good offense with a very good quarterback. I don't, quarterback. I don't think Tyreek Hill is the same wide receiver in another offense. Even if you give him a good quarterback, I'm. I think Aaron Rodgers could get good, great production out of out of Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill's got. Some I just pretty don't raw natural talent, man. Yeah, but he's he does. But he, he's, he, what he's, he's missing is the the physical size, the physical size to be able to go up, get those jump balls that we're talking about, to be that all that. around complete wide. He doesn't though. He he creates his plays in separation in space because he's so quick. That's that's his thing. That's, but that's right. just my opinion. Yeah. That's right. my opinion. Everybody's opinion is different. But we're going to talk more about wide receivers, like I said, in the after-hour show. Garnett's going to be calling in, so we're going to talk some more. He's yeah. got some interesting takes on some stuff, so make sure you taste, stay tuned for that. Let's talk a little bit about free agency. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors going around over the last two weeks. It's, again, it's been two weeks yeah. since we've been on here, right? Ravens have 16 unrestricted free agents pending right now. Free agency starts in about three weeks. So they're that Eric Costa, all the wheels are turning, right? Even though they're not supposed to right now, they're turning. They're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do. First things first is figuring out how much money they're going to have to spend, right? How, what's this cap going to look like? Well, they officially announced the other day that the floor of the cap is going to be 180 million. So I'm assuming that means the cap number will probably be somewhere in the 188 to 190 range. I was thinking 190 based off what I've seen before. So that gives us even a little bit more space than we anticipated originally. We were maybe, thinking 185. So, it gives right. us so five about no. four or five, maybe $6 million more than what we anticipated, which is nice. That can get you a potential veteran signing late, you know, that mm -hmm. could add some benefit. There have been some rumors out there. One of those rumors... Eagles veteran uh, tight tight end Zach Ertz is apparently going to be available. He could either be available through trade if they can't find trade value, release him. They could release him, and then he hits free agency, and the Ravens have the ability to sign him. The Ravens right now are one of five teams that apparently have made the calls into Zach Ertz. Uh, I wanted to get your take first before I give you my opinion, Zach Ertz. He's 30 years old at this point, but coming off some injuries. Yeah. Been a very productive tight end in Philly. 
We all know how much more dynamic this passing offense was when we had two tight ends out there, two legit pass-catching tight ends. Does Zach Ertz intrigue you here in Baltimore? So Zach Ertz intrigues me to, to the extent that I think he brings a, a good knowledge base for this tight end room, right? We already have some some good things, but maybe, you know, Zach Ertz has been pretty big in some big moments. Right. Maybe that could be good advice for Mark Andrews because we've seen some struggles in big moments with him in primetime games, especially right when when all the lights are on him. So I think that the knowledge base is there that he can bring to that room um, coming off the injuries. Is, if he's 100%, could he be somewhat productive? Yeah, he's not going to put up the numbers that he did before. I mean, he's, what, 30 now? So he, he's starting to, I'm not saying reaching his his leg, but I'm sure his body's getting taking a physical toll at this point. Yeah. Um. So I, I think I definitely think it's interesting because, you know, that, that combination, Boyle, Andrews, Ertz, Boyle can fall back and be that, that blocking tight end that we know he's great the at. The blocking tight end that we paid him to be that can sneak out and surprise you and catch a ball when he needs to. But I, I, I want to throw something out here based off of something we saw last year since we're talking tight end, mm-hmm. right? What if our third tight end is actually already on the field? Pat Ricard. Meaning Pat Ricard, yeah. Yeah. Just keep sticking with it. I mean, look, here's the deal. If Pat Ricard, he doesn't need to be a, he doesn't need to be the pass catching. I think Boyle before the injury was doing a great job of that. Right. We know Pat Ricard's physicality on the line. We know that he can block. I think it's presentable. You already have him under salary. You're not going and send, spending anything more on salary cap. I get that you love the fact that, you know, you can move him and put him on the defensive side and you can, you know, move him around. But is I, I'm wondering if now's the time to let Pat Ricard move to full-time offense, whether it's fullback, whether it's getting oh, he, out there. Oh, he has been full, full-time offense. He had about, he had about after Boyle went down, he had about 68% of the snaps last year. Uh, prior to Boyle going down, I looked at the, I, I looked this up before before I even said anything. But that's not based on that's not based on him not being available. That's based on formation. He was a full time fullback this past year and the year before. He's been a Pro Bowl fullback, right? When, so that's he that's, wasn't playing D line as well. Yeah, he he's, he wasn't playing on the defensive side of the ball. So that's my my thing with with him being a number three tight end. I think Pat Ricard can line up as a tight end in situations he can be a situational tight end because he can catch the ball out of the backfield he's 300 pounds he's a fucking brute going through right. with the football get him the ball and he's going to hurt somebody right but to say that he's a number three wide receiver that's not that's not his thing that or number three uh tight end he, that's not his thing he'll be a situation what do tight we end. what do we need out of a number three tight end let me ask that it depends it depends on what that number three is like right now if you go out and you bring in a zach Ertz, right Mark Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz are your two pass catching pass threat tight ends. Then Boyle, then like you said, kind of becomes comes, becomes the number so, three tight end on the depth chart. But it really doesn't mean anything. But again, guess, this offense, the way it's designed, is going to use two tight end sets, and sometimes they're going to line up in jumbo formation and have three tight ends out on the field at one time. And depending upon this. The situation, who's covering who, will change the assignments as to what those tight ends are doing. All three of them have proven over their careers they can catch the ball. Right. So all three of them could be a threat that, to catch the ball. That kind the of air. leads to what I was getting ready to ask you was: Do you think bringing in a guy like Ertz diminishes what Boyle brought to the table pre-injury last year? No, no, because again, you Boyle, adds Boyle is yeah. I okay. think it, it adds to it. It complements it. Boyle's. Number one job and why he got paid so well is because he's the number one blocking tight end in the league. I agree. He's an extension of a tackle. 
that just so happens to be able to catch the fucking ball too. I would say but his, his production his, last year, it showed that. His bread and butter is blocking. Zach Ertz, in my opinion, he's 30 years old. I know he's got some injuries. I think he's still... I think he still has a couple of good years left in him. I, I think and he's, he's got himself left in the tank. He's yeah. a very good pass-catching threat. We all know what this offense looked like with Hayden Hurst out there. You know, Again, Hayden Hurst didn't put up crazy stats. He only had like 400 and some yards receiving when he was out there, and he might have had like 30 or 40 catches in a year. But you put another true threat out there like Zach Ertz, all that's going to do is then benefit Mark Andrews because right now, Teams are honing in on Mark Andrews, and that's why Mark Andrews had some of the struggles that he had later in the year is yeah. because people were covering him and singling him out and not allowing him. Well, especially once Boyle went down. Yeah, that's right. You bring in Zach Ertz, and you have both of these guys out on the field. Who are you going to take out? And if you leave one of them, either one of them can be a problem. So I think it makes a lot of sense for the Ravens. Plus, I don't think it's going to cost you a ton of money. And again, we're, we're looking at value. How much can you get out of every dollar that you spend in free agency? Because yes, we have a decent amount of cap space, but we don't have a ton. And we have a lot of internal decisions that we have to make on guys that we're going to keep or we're going to extend and how much of that money are we going to have? So I know we're all enamored with the whole sign Allen Robinson and bring in these big, big number one receiver that we're talking about, right? That would be a great fit. And we would all love it. If if we could, if, if the NFL was the MLB for one year, we could spend all the money in the world, 100% we're bringing him in, right? But we got to work within the constraints. And if you bring in an Allen Robinson, you're not doing anything else. With the That's extra, it. With the extra cap, they're probably both getting franchise tagged anyway. Allen Robinson More than likely. and Galladay won't even be available because of this extra cap room. More than yeah. likely. With, with my opinion on Ertz real quick Um it all depends how much value you can get because, frankly, he was terrible this year. His his value that how showing, much of that was was him? How much of that was Carson Wentz? How much was that was the offense? How much of that was the well, injuries? You saw him with a, with multiple quarterbacks. He wasn't good with any of them. You saw him dropping balls, especially in the Ravens game. So not all of it was was on the quarterback. If if he's coming to Baltimore, it's got to be a real team friendly first year. I mean, like league vet minimum one year contract with a player maybe that's all he wants to so think about get it his last contract think about yeah, it we're such a tight end heavy offense he could come here and prove it that's what i'm saying so yeah. he's 30 years old right so by age he's he could probably sign another three-year three year deal, deal for, yeah. even after, after this year, year prove it contract come in here during covid whenever nobody has any money to spend get into an offense that's going to play well to your skill set yeah. prove to the world that you can you can do it and then sign your three-year deal. And if the Ravens want to do that yeah. and keep him here for more than one year, And he cool. don't have to play like a third of the snaps because he's not going to be out there for every run. Right. And when he's out there, you know but, there's a 50% chance but, of getting the ball because we don't throw to wide receivers. It's a good spot. But that gives us <laughs> that gives us a nice bridge into next year when hopefully fans are back in the stands, the NFL's making the revenue that they were making prior, you know, prior to COVID, and the cap number goes up significantly the following year. Then that allows us to say, all right, Who's our quarterback going to be? If Allen Robinson, <laughs> if Allen Robinson gets tagged this year, like you're saying yeah. could happen, then we entertain Allen Robinson because the cap numbers increase. We have more money to spend, but yet Zachers, we are in a short window right now. We're in a short. small yeah. window right now of win now. So these these signings that you have right now, one year, two year deals, whatever they are, better be impactful. And I think Zach Ertz can be impactful. That's the thing is I agree with you, but when it comes to the trade val trade market, I feel like a team 
is willing to overpay. And if that's him. the case, then you don't overpay him. Right. If somebody else is going to overpay him, then let them let have him that. Go. Yeah. Let him I, have that. I'm just talking about I think he'd be a good fit if you can get him for the right oh, price. Oh, I agree. I just think to think that it will actually happen, like – he I'll be great, and I'll admit that I was wrong. Nothing. But I think we're living in fan. I think we're living a little bit in fantasy land, thinking that we have a shot at him because somebody's going to be willing to trade for him. So what's the number? Let's put let's put this on there. What's the what's the contract number for this for year? For me, it's seven eight million. You think he gets seven or eight million? Yeah. That's year? where that's I'll my take cap. The under all day. Under oh, or seven under hundred percent. Oh. He gets more than seven under. Or eight. Someone's going to yeah. overpay him. Yeah. Somebody's going to pay him eight nine, maybe even ten. But anyways, I think he's then I don't want released. him anywhere near my team. If seven, I'd be okay. Think about it. He is a pass catching tight end. He was right? a pass catching oh, tight end. No, he is a pass he catching. Is. Tight he end. is because they're like he, he brought up. There's the so top, many other factors for that Eagles team. The top year. end of wide receivers are getting twenty something million. <sighs> Zach Ertz is going to get half of that. Somewhere yeah. between eight and ten million is where I think he'll be. I think he'll get released. But if we can get him for seven or eight, sign him in. Sign me up. I'm for it. Yeah. So what's Kelsey making? I don't even know. Well, I don't and, know. And what you got to get. You got to. Kelsey's assume, probably okay. fifteen mil. I would think that 15, number. 16. That number is also assuming that he. Then I wouldn't pay him more than five. That he gets released because <laughs> what you're looking at is also you're going to have to give up something to get him if they, if they're wanting a trade. Right. Right. Because he's still he's not in free agency until they release him. Right. So they might be trying to want to get something for him and then just say, all right, we can sit on him. We'll keep him until somebody offers so him. So Kelsey is making $5.5 million with a cap hit of 8.5. I don't know how that works. Okay, so he hasn't signed his big deal yet then, I guess? No, he has a big he, – he got paid. It's 2021 he, Kelsey contract. All right, I'll have, have to, to look up. more into it later. But the, the my point in this is that now that we kind of know where the floor of the cap is going to be, there's going to be an influx in town <laughs> that hit Jason the market. Kelsey, the center for the Eagles. My bad, guys. All wrong. Say. Super wrong. Wrong Kelsey in the NFL. Yeah. Just, just so he gets that, but just to let you know. Say, I didn't want to call you an I, idiot, but it seemed like you were wrong on that. I think he's going to get released because the way I see is they gave up for Wentz. They gave, like, what, two number threes, a two and a three? Like, no one's going to give up. Right. It, that for for him so i think he's going to end up getting released to save money on the or do they keep him and and let him play and as he starts to you know maybe come back then trade him early in the year and then they get more value out of him they need to get value now if they can but i don't know it's it's going to depend they might be asking a ton it's the eagles organization they've done some stupid shit here recently so all right all right so that's right 14 million 14 million okay i figured it had to be somewhere around that all right five let's let's stay Let's stay home. Let's stay internal for a second. Talk about our own uh, guy who we've talked about for the last couple of weeks who, again, used social media to kind of put it out there that uh, okay. he going. wants to make a move. Orlando Brown, right? Uh, Ravens are fielding offers. Ravens are talking to teams. The asking price right now, or at least the rumor, is a first-rounder. At the minimum. That's my response. So... That's my response as well. I want for me. If we give up for just a first rounder, I probably will actually not be happy at all. Top top fifteen, I'm good. I don't know. I don't think it goes that high. I think it's a twenty or below. I think the the ceiling is twenty. I think we we're lucky if we end up somewhere with a twenty twenty. to twenty five pick. I think you think that's a low end. That's that's where yeah. That's where I think we're lucky. Uh, if we get that just that no like third or fourth. no 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 I'm talking about in the first round I think that we should get at least a third rounder on top of that in my opinion I would not trade him for just a first round I'm okay with the low first and a third but if we just talk a first 
right higher than that number. Right. I want <laughs> I I want a low first. And if you're doing that at a first, if you're getting a, a a higher first, if you're getting in, if you're getting higher than twenty, it's it's that plus a fifth or a sixth rounder too. Right. Like his asking price. I that's why unless unless somehow they pulled off a miraculous trade and got within the top ten, which I don't think is is going to happen by any means. But if you're able to do that, then you then you do it. Right. Anything above ten, then that's where I'm saying you need you need a four you need a fourth a fifth a sixth you need something to complement that. So and if I get the tenth, if I get ten or above, right. I personally, the person who loves to trade up, who says we should be trading up, I'd actually trade those two away to somebody else for two later rounds. Where have we found the most value in our drafts? Second and third rounds consistently. The problem is right Somebody's now. Somebody's asking price would be nice for that. You're, if you're giving up Orlando Brown, you've got serious problems on the offensive line. You already <laughs> had problems. You've already had problems on the offensive line going into the offseason, and that was thinking that Orlando Brown was going to be back. You lose Orlando Brown, you got to replace him in this draft. Either that, or you better find somebody in free agency. But who are you going to find in free agency that's not going to cost a million dollars? to be able to replace an Orlando Brown, right? There's Fair obviously we, we saw that uh, former Raven uh, uh, Rick, Rick Wagner, Wagner was released. That could be a budget friendly guy that could come back, maybe fill in a little bit. He would not be a starter. In my opinion, he would just be a depth piece he's to what, bring back 30, 31 now. Yeah. I think he's like 31 at this point. Okay. Yeah. He's in his early thirties. Uh, but if you're going to do that now, this is the draft to do it in. There's a ton of tackle depth in this draft from everything that all the experts out there are saying, there's a ton of tackle depth. So I know our buddy Ryan out there was talking about uh, potentially trading with the Jags. Jags have a couple of picks. They're obviously going to be taking their franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence early in the draft. Well, they've also got another first rounder at pick number 25. I would be happy. And I agree with him that if we can get the number 25 overall and then their third round pick, I'm good with that because one of those two first-round picks that we're going to have, I'm replacing Orlando Brown with. Right. And I'm expecting whoever that is to be a plug-and-play starter day one. We're going to need him to be. Right. The 25th pick. And then Joe Carlozo's Pat Frymuth is in the third round because that's how good he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then we'll have, we'll have our pick, which I believe is 27th overall. Right? So... I'm good with giving up Orlando Brown and letting him do, you know, live out his dream of being a left tackle and all that stuff. I hate to see him go because I love the guy, right? And I don't want to see any of our young talent, especially in the offensive line, go somewhere. But if we can get a first and a third, I'm listening to that. And replace him, yeah. And replace him. Yeah, no, I, I don't I don't disagree with that. And I think you brought up, you know, Rick Wagner being able to come in and play, you know, the experience – and working with John Harbaugh previous, I think it plays it plays a little bit of a role, right? But you, right. You think about it, and you kind of know what he comes from, and the guy, the guys that he's worked with, like Yanda. Terrence right? bringing some logic here. This is EDC we're talking about. We're gonna be okay. Oh, you're 100 oh, right. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> hey, listen, it's the off season. We do these shows once a week. We gotta fill the air with talk. We gotta <laughs> yeah. fill the air with. He some knows better than we do, but why 100%. can't we talk about it a little? Bit? <laughs> yeah. We gotta talk about. <laughs> That's it. why we said these are the cost like moves. It's not a worry on any of our parts. I think it's no. just we're just saying that we need to make sure that we get the value that it's there and we have something going on. So another way you do this, you know, if you do, because the Ravens historically have always been draft best player available. Right. Right. Well, if you get a rid of a big piece like Orlando Brown, that puts the need 
on offensive line, but do the Ravens follow that MO or do they, if there's an, another great edge rusher, because we need that, or if there's another, you know, great defensive lineman or, uh, you know, whatever it might be, do the Ravens continue the path of drafting best player available and miss out on the tackle? Then after the draft, they got to figure out a way to make up for that. And the only way you make up for that is through free agency. And right now, the cap number is tight, right? Especially if we're bringing in a Zach Ertz or we're bringing in a wide receiver. Then it gets real tight. The only way you can do that is by creating room. Right. And one of those guys that a lot of people are talking about right now could be the potential release of Brandon Williams. Big fan of Brandon Williams. Love Brandon Williams. I've loved him since we drafted him. He's that true, like, underdog story. Except like, for when he came in way out of shape. <laughs> No, no, no. That wasn't him. That yeah. was Michael Pierce. Oh, Pierce. Yeah, that was right, Pierce. Right, right. Uh, but no, Brandon Williams love his personality. Just he's a he's a he's a brute. You know, yeah. he does the work. He does he doesn't get all the shiny stats and all that shit. But he does the work. This run defense is totally different with or without him on the defensive We've line. We've seen the numbers with that, right? Which is part of the reason that I. You want the Browns to smoke us again? Cut Brandon Williams. <laughs> and that's that's part of my struggle with this, right? Is that, yes, if you release Brandon Williams, that creates seven and a half more million in cap space because right now his contract's a little over 14 million. It'd be about seven million dead money on the cap and then seven and a half million created in space. That sounds great. And they did draft a couple of defensive linemen that they're really high on. I know Justin Matabuike yeah. looked good. Uh, they got another guy. I can't think of his name right now off the top of my head, but they got another guy, another defensive lineman uh, in last year's draft that looked okay. It's, you know, in his spot starts. Do the Ravens do that? Do they go down that avenue? Do they draft best player available? And if the offensive lineman isn't the best player available, then do they backtrack and say, all right, well, we got to release a guy like Brandon Williams to create that seven and a half million to be able to go out and sign a veteran right tackle to replace him. So I, I get where you're going. First off, I can't imagine this run defense without Brandon Williams. Me either. We, we've seen it time and time again. He he makes a difference. I get that. I get we might be able to get somebody in, in the back end. Devil's advocate. He's 32. So then see if you can restructure and extend. There's no restructuring because this is the final year. So, all right. So then see if you can give him an extension and do the, do the restructure. Do you that extend, way. though, somebody who's 32 years old? I give him a three year contract. Ugh, and have him until 35? Let him retire a Raven. I get that. Let's be honest. Once Lamar's off his rookie contract, it's over for us anyway. So whatever. Push the money down the field. <laughs> it's, it's easier said than done. The Ravens, well, okay, okay, they're going to be bad years, as soon as he has right? to sign I mean, that giant I, contract. I'm looking at three years to be able to say, look, you've done a lot for us. You're doing a lot for us last year. We're hoping that you're going to continue to do that this year. You put in the work. So let's put the investment in you extend give him an extension but the extension is obviously at a lower cost per year right. for us that we can we can restructure this year's deal basically and then the next two years if it's so it's a three-year total deal so i guess it'll be a two-year extension right so I'm, he's here for the next three years I, I think it's worth it what he brings to the table if you're in a win now mode let's say your window i mean for all of us i think the window is is really it's narrowing down to this year and maybe the following year right Maybe, to be able to win with the talent that we have right maybe now. Maybe the following yep. year. So why not have him be part of that cog? I think when he's done with that and showing him that he's done after that, he's going to retire. He's going to say, I'm, I'm done. I'm good to go. Unless he's feeling 
frisky, right? Which it's be will, so maybe he is. But I don't know. I, I think I think a two year extension at the minimum to give him the next three years is where where we're at. Go ahead, James. Uh, two things. I think we should release Brandon Williams and shift this year shift to the offense going forward uh, with the our our team. But second off, Eric DaCosta can play genius. And we could pull off a trade, maybe send Orlando Brown and uh, Hollywood. I mean, uh, Orlando, yeah, Orlando Brown and Hollywood Brown to Seattle for DK Madcap and a third round pick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm listening. Magic. <laughs> I'm listening, but I don't think that that happens. You, you never know because listen, here, here's, offensive line. here's the thing that you got to keep in mind, right? We, we talk about Eric DaCosta and we talk about the draft history and all of that with the Ravens. The Ravens have always been good at drafting and developing defensive linemen. Like, that's been a right. strength of theirs for years, right? So, Brandon Williams is a product of that. He's been here since day one. He was a Division One AA, or he was a low-end low, uh, low Division One yeah. college player. Uh, Broderick Washington is the other guy that you were talking about. Broderick Washington. About yeah, right. Thank you. Guy. I figured Thank who you. just Pre- said that in the, in the chat. Appreciate that. So... I have faith that, yes, it would suck to lose Brandon Williams, and it's going to hurt this run defense, but I I think he can be replaced. And I think he can be replaced already internally with some of the young talent that we have. We don't know what Justin Matabuike is going to look like total uh, because, again, he's going from year one to year two. He's going to actually have a full offseason, hopefully, (laughs) to be able to practice and be ready. And then Broderick Washington, he's another piece. I get it, but that just scares me looking at the history when B-Will is not out there. These but, guys, even last year, the few times that he wasn't out there, they, there was nobody. We got ran all over. Not as bad last year, but in years past, you're 100% right. Good, Ryan. For me, this comes back to my similar my Turge argument that I had. Brandon Williams, for the unknown of what $7.5 could bring me, no thank you. We have him under contract. Man. Let him sit here. The only this, reason... This topic was only brought up in the hypothetical that you don't draft a replacement for Orlando Brown, and Orlando Brown is now traded to another team, and you need help on the offensive line. You can't just go out and but sign I, offensive line help to ready to be able to ready to start without creating cap space. But where are they available? That's my thing. You don't go get the money and then hope someone's available to get the player. If you are cutting him, it has to be for a specific contract you have in hand and an agreement for, like, say, I don't know an offensive lineman, but say... Allen Robinson doesn't get the tag, and you have a contract that he no, his agent that. has agreed to, but you're short $7 million, go cut Brandon that's, Williams. That's what this hypothetical was okay. about to be about. But, but the way James put it was like, I'd rather have $7.5 million and just wave it out there and no. see what we can get for James it. James so, is bringing up a, a funny <laughs> trade. Yeah. So, so. But maybe I just understood it wrong. I just want to say, you no. can't just be like, let's hope we do better than him. No, no, no. The Ravens aren't that stupid. The Ravens would never just cut somebody for the sake of cutting somebody to create space. They're going to have a plan put into place. When you see restructures happen, when you see players get cut, it's because there's a corresponding move coming. And there's only especially with the Ravens. You you know that that's happening. I mean, an Allen Robinson or a Shaq Barrett, like there's a couple players that I'd be okay with cutting him for. It's not, there aren't, there right. aren't a ton, you know? Right. But my, my point in this was just talking about offensive line because we know how much, how many issues we had on the offensive line this year that still aren't answered. We still need a new center. We still don't know who our right guard of the future is going to be. Really, the only two spots that were, were pretty good on the offensive line right now is left tackle Ronnie Stanley, but that's still a question mark because he's coming back from injury. How bad was that injury and how does it affect him? And then left guard with Bradley Bozeman. Those are about the only two spots on the offensive line. Outside of that, 
<laughs> Makari and Skura, I don't think Skura comes back. I don't think Makari is the answer. I think he's a good depth piece because I think he's more better suited to be a rotational guard. Right guard, Ben Power showed some flashes, but I don't know if he's ready to be the everyday right guard. And now Orlando Brown's gone at right tackle. So you got problems. And well, Skura said he's moving line. on, right? Didn't he yes. put that out yeah. there? He's not yes. come back. Well, yeah. let's, let's take a second because we're – we're assuming you're in that whole scenario. We're assuming Orlando Brown is gone, right? Uh -huh. They're the idea that they're shopping him is the fact that they know he's unhappy. However, this could be a scenario that we go, look, we didn't get what we wanted for you. You need to play. You're going to play and you're going to play right, right? Maybe he plays left. I don't know. It's going to depend on Stanley, but at the same time, he's got to come in and make a choice at that point. Is he going to play for the contract that he wants? Or is he playing just because of the contract that he has? Taco Bell. <laughs> that was great. What the hell happened there? <laughs> that you was... had, he had me on the wrong bank. <laughs> Brandon, now I'm hungry. Brandon Williams had the Taco Bell. That worked out so perfectly. <laughs> no, that was Matt Judon. Oh, man. All right, man. It's time for a social media shout out. Hit the little buzzer there, Ryan. Your little... Oh, didn't know we had social media shout out here. Sorry, man. Got tied up. <laughs> the Birdland Hall of... Oh, that couldn't have gone any smoother. Ryan, <laughs> it's time for a social media shout out. Hey, we had a week off. We threw it all out of whack. <laughs> and Drew's not here to keep, well, keep an eye on me. Uh. Drew was the first guest in. Ryan Bratton, Joe Carlozo, Steven Seavers, who's in Epcot. We're Disney official now. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> nice. Uh, Garnett. Saw his pool. His pool is freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Kamal, uh, King Bratton, Craig Zero, Jamal Caldwell, Sherry Reedy. Big play Dave, who's dropping some brown love in the chat. Of course. Of course What's up, Dave? <laughs> uh, yeah, young Will, Alex DeVal, uh, Joe Shipley, Andrew Skura, uh, Terrence, and Dominique Henson. Awesome. Any good comments out there that we haven't talked about or brought up yet that you saw? There was a lot of arguing back and forth. Everybody made some good points, but nothing that I really wanted to bring up other than the awesome <laughs> Epcot fact that we're in Disney right now. I thought that was pretty sweet. I've, I've watched a show in the ER with my wife. We got Epcot. I know we were on a plane one time. This, this, this show is well-traveled. <laughs> All right, Ryan, it's time for some shell and tell. We're time, time to talk Terps. Uh, we're going to start with the football squad this week. Not a ton of news, but there has been some news around recruits and recruiting. Um, right now with the 2021 class, you know, this is one of the best classes that they've had in a very long time at Maryland. And 2022 is shaping up really well already. But they've got one scholarship left for this 2021 class. And I think everybody's kind of itching to see what the Terps do here. I mean, you and I have talked about it. They still need help on the offensive line. I'd love to see them land another JUCO offensive lineman with that scholarship. Um, maybe quarterback depth, because right now, Talia is really the only scholarship quarterback that they have on the roster. I mean, they got the guy from VMI uh, coming in, but he's still got to play through spring ball before he can even get here. So how much is he really going to be acclimated to the offense. I don't even really count him. That's a really interesting situation because if he gets hurt in spring ball, <laughs> what, are, what are we going to do at that point? Right. You've, you've uh, kind of strung out that that's going to be your only backup right now. Right. And then the other, I think the other area that concerns me still is running back. And that hasn't been a concern over the last couple of years. You know, 
Jake Funk, obviously, best wishes to him as he pursues his professional career. Right now, we're stacked with a bunch of young guys. Now, some of these guys are talented. You know, uh, Isaiah Jacobs, the brother of Josh Jacobs, you know, with the Raiders. Penny Boone. Penny Boone, big, big boy. boy. Uh, they got a couple guys coming in, freshman Antoine Littleton and uh, uh, Hemby. Yeah, from uh, uh, John Carroll. Yeah, Middle River Renegade. <laughs> Shout out <laughs> to Middle River. Uh, so they got some young running back talent in there, but they don't have that bell cow. I, I don't think – or Fleet Davis might have one more Fleet year. Fleet Davis got one more year. Okay, so Fleet Davis would be the senior running back. But I still don't see him being an every down type of running back. And we all know the wild card that he is off the field. He could be pulled off the roster any minute for for anything. anything. (laughs) Pretty stupid. We have no idea if he's actually going to play. What do you want to see him do with this this last scholarship that they have? I'm not as worried about running back as you are, I don't think. I think there's so many options. I feel like something's got to stick. I mean, we saw some highlight reel plays from Penny Boone. We didn't really see much from Josh Jacobs, but... Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> his brother. <laughs> we saw mostly fumbles from him, so yeah. I really hope that gets taken care of. Agreed. I mean, we saw mostly... More in the return game than it was running the yeah. football. We saw yeah. fumbles from Lamar Jackson a lot the first year, too. We fixed that somehow. So whoever fixed that, Touché. please please step over and give my boy <laughs> some help. Um, uh, but I do think that offensive line is a huge question mark. We did have a pretty good draft class two years ago, like, that never showed up, like the Marcus Fingers of the world. Right. That we had big 300-pound linemen that were on the team that we haven't seen play at all. So since they really didn't get anybody, maybe there's something they know that we don't, that they're ready, that they've groomed these guys to a position. Um, obviously, we just lost uh, Chance Campbell in the linebacker position. Everyone's very young there. And it sounds like there's also an injury issue with our five-star that's, that was going to be my next question to you is, you know, you do lose your senior or not senior, but your veteran leadership in Chance Campbell. That hurt. And we thought we we're good. Well, maybe we've got a four star from Michigan. We, we got a five star from Florida. We're loaded. We're we loaded Ruben, with a ton of young guys. But then already it, we're probably down to five star is what everyone's saying. We've lost another ACL at ACLU. Yeah. <laughs> so is linebacker a concern? You know, is that somewhere that maybe you're looking to spend that other scholarship on? That's that's me. I'm I'm fifty fifty on offensive line linebacker. I do I think that uh Eric Nigerian, that was the yeah. walk on quarterback we saw, that was the best walk on I've ever seen. And Maryland knows a thing or two about small sample size, true. But yes. But Maryland yes. knows a thing or two about playing walk on quarterbacks and their fourth, fifth, sixth string standing out there. So I've seen a few. Right. Uh, so I'm okay with him being a two or three. And the VMI quarterback apparently has some NFL draft grades looking like a sixth, seventh rounder is on him right now. Right. So apparently he's got some real talent, even though he's from a low level college. Gotcha. Um, so if those three are your quarterbacks, I'm good. Uh, now, again, he's got to you the spring. You lose Talia in the first two weeks of the year. Here's the thing I've always told you it doesn't matter. We will be good when we play one quarterback for a whole year. We can't seem to do it. Yeah, uh, it that's why I think the more important piece is offensive line. You got to do everything that you can exactly. to keep Talia up. Yeah, keep Talia healthy. You need a, that offensive line. I would be 60-40 offensive line versus defense. The only reason I would lean, lean linebacker a little bit is because our defense right now is going to be scary good, even without replacing that. Like, But that is a big hole if you're losing that five-star that you thought was going to give you Good minutes. There's a lot of question marks, though. I think this defense can be good. 
but you got a lot of youth coming in. You got a new coaching staff coming in. You got new new game plans, new philosophies. You got all the hurdles still that they're trying to to overcome with COVID and everything. So there's a lot of learning curves that are going to happen, and it's really going to take, I think, four or five weeks, four or five games of these guys, kind of the younger guys, getting their feet underneath of them and really learning this defense. Because even last year, for instance, right, we talked about going into last year like an area of concern was the secondary. And the minute that they started the year, it was still a concern. But as the year went on, they got better and better and better and better every single week. This kid still came out of nowhere, ended up being the yeah. best D-back that we had on our team. And that's saying something because I he was a better defensive back than Nick Cross, in my opinion, last year. So he I might think be the best defensive back I've seen there. We've had a lot of NFL D-backs on that roster. Right. So I'm just saying, I, th- I think that... I would have felt a lot better about this defense not losing Chance Campbell. That kills me. Oh, Chance it, Campbell it was a much me. bigger loss than the imaginary what Terrence Lewis couldn't could have. Right. So Chance Campbell is is a terrible loss. Again, it all just seems like it was just going to happen because ev- almost everyone that left this year was the remaining DJ Durkin right. players. It was a mass exodus of we tried it, we're done, we're going to go find somebody else that wanted us from the beginning. Right. Well, flipping around, staying on the good side of recruiting, right? One of the things that has kind of been a struggle with the Terps football program for for many years, really, has been the lack of connection that they've had at St. Francis Academy, right? That's been a struggle of ours. It's it's a freaking an influx of talent that just somehow feeds everybody else, but they completely bypass on the Terps, right? Well, it looks like Loxley and crew is starting to plant some roots there. They're starting to put offers out to some of the really young talent there. This would be a really nice local connection to have feeding the program that just hasn't been there over over the years. I know you watched the 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 HBO special that they did on the San Francisco program. Yeah, yeah that was very cool. It was very short. Uh, I think it was like eight episodes or something, but right. it was very cool. Yeah, that Call would be some winning. Is that what it was called? Something like something that. like that. Yeah. That would be huge. I think that that's that's and this is how you do it. You got to kind of jump ahead of things, yeah. start getting these young guys. They're completely involved. full of national talent. Most of their top guys just get siphoned to Michigan for whatever yeah. unknown reasons <laughs> that might be in the college underworld. Hamburger bags. So we kind of need the other hardball to get <laughs> fired before I think we can get a real stronghold in there. <laughs> but uh, we could figure it out. Um, but they we've gotten a few guys more than we've had in the past. A lot recently, they also just changed. Uh, the recruiter in the school yeah. to Brawley Evans, who's been on fire. He's one of the top recruiters in the nation right now. Right. So hopefully that helps us. Um, obviously, the school has been seemingly a lot more relatable and a lot more hip yeah. <laughs> under <laughs> under uh, Loxley and all the new craft crew that's like bringing new age thoughts and processes to the school. All the all the advancements that they have with the uh, personal branding. All these things can really speak to these younger kids that they're trying to get a hold of. So. Hopefully it works. Well, they did land a nice local addition to their 2022 class. We talk about Talia being the only real quarterback on our roster right now. We've got some pieces in there, but no guys that we want to see the field. Uh, well, they did add a quarterback. Well, maybe. Maybe. Three-star dual-threat quarterback Preston Howard from McDonough. 6'6", uh, six, six, 220 pounds. Number 10 dual-threat quarterback in the nation. Number 9 overall player out of Maryland in his class. 
this is a kid has got obviously got great size, 6'6", 220, you know, still in high school. That's yep. huge. Uh, got a really good frame. Got great athleticism. A lot of a lot of coaches, including his coach, have said that he might be better suited or might make the transition from quarterback to tight end. Tight end or DN, yeah. Or DN, right, playing on the defensive side of the ball. This this is a good get because again, we haven't really attracted much in the way of decent quarterback play. And I know this kid still has some question marks whether it's gonna work out at quarterback, but I think having that that dual threat in this offense fits very well. Yeah, we haven't had a high school quarterback since Lance LeJean. Lance LeJean walked on us, so before that it was Kaysom Hill. Kaysom Hill walked on us, so we have who, who all of our quarterbacks have been transfers recently. Right, right. Um, so this is definitely a big get. I think it's smart. They brought him in. They tagged him as an athlete. They have yeah. not tagged him as a quarterback. I think, that's, I think that you – I think if you're locks, you go to this kid and be like, look, I think you're best at a tight ender or defensive end. But as you see, we do have quarterback struggles, so – if it ends up we miss on some players, I'm not going to – if you want reps there, we're going to give you reps there and see what you got at this level. So I think this is a good fallback plan slash he's going to be a great athlete no matter where you play him on the field. Well, and the other thing with this is, too, is that Maryland's been involved with a couple other highly recruited quarterbacks out there, and they're still going after these guys. So I think – And we're in the top two for both of them, I think. Exactly, and I think they feel comfortable knowing that, okay, if we miss out on these other guys, we've got this guy. But if we land yeah. one of these guys – now we've covered two positions because we can move this guy as an athlete. It's also why you had to have him come in as an athlete so you exactly. didn't scare anybody off that you actually wanted to play the position. Exactly, exactly. So this this is good. This These are all good signs. 2022 class is looking really, really good. Uh, speaking of good, uh, wide receiver core has been <laughs> something that has been uh, very, very good, good for the last couple of years. Uh, Rakim Jarrett obviously burst onto the scene to scene last year, had a great freshman year, right? Dante um, Demas to Sean Jones, as long as he's not getting 50 yard penalties. Right. But I think <laughs> a guy that, uh, that committed to the 2021 class that we haven't talked about a whole lot. That's been getting a lot of, uh, a lot of noise from some internal, uh, people, uh, with the, with the program. program. Yeah. Wide receiver commit Ty Felton. What's, been said about this kid that I think is super impressive is that he is the fastest guy on the field, the fastest player that they've seen. Now, granted, I don't know who this is coming from. I don't know if it's coming from players, if this is coming from coaching staff or what, but that's freaking high praise. When you're comparing him, Ty Felton, again, a freshman to this elite class of wide receivers that we already had, and he's the fastest guy on the field. Demon's pretty fast. Yeah. Rack's pretty fast. fast. Exactly. Jason Jones, pretty fast. Nick Cross was, yeah. a, is, is what, was a top uh, track athlete in the country. Right. We got some speed out there. So if Tay's making them look bad, that's, that's some speed. That's good. And, and I think where that could have a big impact, especially because we're so loaded at the wide receiver position, is in the return game. We've talked about that. Obviously, you just mentioned it a couple of minutes ago with uh, Jacobs and the fumble issues that I don't want to see him returning balls anymore. I don't want to see him returning <laughs> balls either. Now, just because he has speed doesn't mean that he can return, but – that's what you want. If you want a guy that's a smaller frame, guy that's more of a lower center of gravity kind of guy, and that's got quickness like that, and I think Ty Felton might be a potential return uh, specialist in the future. That'd be great. So it's been a while since it was exciting, and when it has been exciting at Maryland, it's been really exciting. Like yeah. all the way back to Steve Suter, Diggs, Hayward Bay. They've had like, William Likely. We've had some real fun return guys in the past. For sure. 
for sure. All right. I know I've seen it in the in the chat room already. Is everybody's hype around this basketball all sudden, squad? All of a sudden, you guys like Maryland basketball. <laughs> where, where were you four games ago? Right. You know, we win four games in eight weeks, and we win four games in eight days, and y'all, it's completely different. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, it's been pretty impressive. Like, they, they, granted, it's a, it's a lot of Big Ten games, some against the lower-tier teams in the Big Ten, but anytime you can win four games in eight days against the likes of Minnesota – Two games over Nebraska in back-to-back days, which almost never happens. That's always a 50-50 split in those back-to-back games. But the Terps were able to pull off both of those games. And then you went on Sunday over a Rutgers team who is a much better improved team, was a top 25 team there for a while during the year. They got some talent. That was that was a yeah. game. They've got some talent, especially down low. They've got good size, great play Where down low. Why is that low. not true in the big time? <laughs> With Maryland. That's it. That's we're it. the only one. Maryland's the only one. But somehow we're still winning games, when right? Da- when Dante Scott's your center, that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. Dante Scott's strong as hell, but he ain't that tall. Right, <laughs> right. But Terps now sit at 14 and 10 overall. Eight and nine in Big Ten play, which puts them seventh in the conference right now. A lot of experts, you know, are, are put, putting out their four in and four out and all of that. Every list that I've seen so far, either Maryland is on the four in, or they're not even considered on the four in and they're above that. So a lot of the experts are already basically locking Maryland into this NCAA tournament, which to me, I get it. They've got some of the the most impressive wins on the year. They're obviously playing in the most difficult division in men's basketball. But at 14 and 10, I just never would have assumed that this team would be a lock for the NCAA tournament. I I think a lot of that's the projection for the end of the year because the teams that we have left are not the murderers row that we've already survived through. Right. So even if you go two and two, you're you're probably in and you're probably going better than that. Right. For the for the West Way out. Now the Big Ten tournament is where the real question mark is because you're gonna end up matched up against somebody. Don't embarrass yourself. That's the thing. Like I if the if Maryland wins out. What's your definition though, man? Because we lose to Ohio State by five points and everybody acts like we didn't get off the bench. So I, I don't I don't know what people's expectations are because some no, of these teams are just better than us. Listen, we're a top thirty five team. We're not a top ten team. He is such a Maryland diehard. It's I, like he took that so personally. I know. As soon so, as you said that, I was like, oh shit, you shouldn't have said that. God damn. So the the Ohio State <laughs> thing for me, when I say embarrassing, it wasn't an embarrassing loss. Penn State was there, an embarrassing loss. I'll that give was, it to that you. was an embar- I didn't say Ohio State was an embarrassing loss. There was an embar. What's embarrassing is when we go zero for sixteen stretches. Yeah, well, I don't care Which if it's just against keeps happening against everyone. Exactly, and I don't it care if it's against Ohio wins. State or if it's against <laughs> you know the University of Ohio. I don't care who it's against. When you shoot zero for sixteen during a yeah. stretch, I don't care who it's against. That's embarrassing. Well, I think I think the big thing for me, like going into the tournament, in in the tournament, you can't. You're on a national stage now. I mean, not that we weren't before, but it it's the tournament, right? Right. I think what you're what you're talking about is you can't go on these long streets of O four. I mean, how many um, minus the last what four? Joe, games? I actually think Ohio State has six. I think Ohio State's leading that category for most quad wins. But okay, yeah. um, but no, what I was saying was that's one of those things that you cannot go into those games and and have those O four runs because the teams that you're going to go up against, to your point, are going to destroy you. The Ohio State's when you go O four, you had the chance to win that game. It's in this Rutgers game. We won it. And yet, 
we still had this run where they had scored zero points for like the last six minutes of the first half or something, right. and we had only gained five points during that six yeah, minutes. Right. Exactly. Like, what, how are you holding somebody scoreless for six minutes and not running away with it? So, <laughs> so let me ask you, right? We, we win these four games uh, in eight days, right? What for you have you seen that's been the biggest difference over these last four games? Because in my opinion, I think they're just playing better overall defensive basketball than they've been playing all year. I mean, they're only giving up an average of 59 points per game right now over the last nine. So defensively, that allows you to have those stretches and yet still be in the game some fucking how. But again, when you get to the big tournaments, you can't have that kind of hiccup. You're in, it's one or done. You know, one in, one loss, and you're out. But what has been the difference, do you think, over the last four games? So the fourth game might be a different answer, but if you put a gun to my head, what's the difference in the over-encompassing last four games? That guy Aaron Wiggins up there that <laughs> has all of a sudden been super consistent. There it is. Um, I, Aaron Wiggins. Consistent and effort. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know what's changed. I don't know what switches on. Um, it's a little sad to me because I think he's turned it on to the point where you're not seeing him back next year, and we're not ready to make a deep run this year, no matter how good he plays. We could make a entertaining march with between the Big Ten, but we're not winning either one of them, and we're not probably getting into the Sweet 16, no matter how good he plays, because you right. don't have a big man. But I think the reason we're good, and but then we also saw. This last game against Rutgers, him playing well was not enough. They played Hart. All of a sudden showed up. He was consistent throughout the game. He he ran the point a lot better. Actually kind of showed me that he might be the best point guard on the team, even though I'm an Eric Ayala truther. <laughs> He's starting to so – I'm starting to get what Turgeon saw in him because I just never understood why this freshman's bringing the ball up when I've always been, like, you know, so high on Eric. Right. I think Eric is freed up by not being the true point guard, even though I do think he's very capable in it. Um, so if you can get production, I mean, that was the first game they had had five scores and double figures. Right. It was unreal. It was a complete consistency around the board. Yeah, I, I just, I think what's been the most frustrating for me with Aaron Wiggins over his career, really, has just been the nights off. Like there are just nights that he takes off. He doesn't put the effort out there. Cause I think that any, any given day, he is the most gifted basketball player on that squad. And I don't think that's up for debate. I think he's the best shooter. I think he's the best all around player on that squad when he puts the effort. And for whatever reason, over this last stretch of games, to your point, the effort's been a hundred percent and it's shown and he's putting up the numbers. This is what, the scouts were so high on him in his freshman year. First of all, he was shooting the lights out of the gym his yeah, freshman year. He couldn't, was insane. It, he couldn't miss anything. Neither but second, <laughs> he didn't get a ton of t- he didn't get a ton of minutes. But the minutes that he got, he maximized one. Then in a minute, like the next year, he starts getting an abundance of minutes, and he just doesn't do anything with it. And that's kind of been why I think he's still at Maryland, right? And I still think that even next year he'll be at Maryland. At this point, I sure hope you're right. At this point, Aaron Wiggins is 22 years old. By the time he's drafted next year, he'll be 23 years old, which in drafting terms, especially in the NBA, that's already pretty old for a drafted kid at 23 years old. So for me, why wouldn't you stay for another year, especially if you're a fringe 
low first round or potentially second round pick, or maybe you're not even an NBA draft pick and you're talking about playing overseas, overseas basketball will be there for you at 24, no different than it is at 23. Why wouldn't you stay here for that final year when you know Eric Ayala's back, you're back, you're going to get some of these, the James Grahams of the world, you might get some some new size, Reese, uh, the, the kid Reese that's coming in. Mona, they, Reese Mona. No, not Reese Mona, <laughs> the other kid, uh, an actual power forward that's yeah. coming in. You've got some pieces. This was supposed to be a bridge year. I don't think anybody had high expectations for this team going into this year. Next year was where we're supposed to see them back into the top 25 and back into contention for things. If you're Ayala why, or you're uh, Wiggins, why wouldn't you want to be a part They're of that? They're pretty much matching my expectations now. Before this four-game winning streak where we might miss the tournament altogether, I was a little disappointed but not shocked. Um, I knew that was a possibility at the beginning of the year. But I did think that with the, I thought, above-average guard play, even though everybody was scared why we didn't get a guard in the offseason, I thought we had plenty of at least twos that could run it. Right. And so I thought we'd be fine and probably make the tournament. Well, so let, me at, let me ask you. I was going to say, so then do you think this team – has played up to your expectations, over overdone your expectations, or what? I'd like so to far. win a postseason game. Honestly, I think my expectation well, is you could win a games. postseason game in the NIT. No, I would like to win a Big Ten tournament or NCAA tournament game. I would okay. probably say I'd like to get into the second round of both, and I'm completely we're, I'm happy with this year completely. That's I think that would number one shut up about thirty to forty percent of the Turge haters. So speaking of Turge, there we go. Joe says, "Does Turge get an extension? He, he if he wins two games, yes. No matter where those games are, other than the NIT. <laughs> if we show up at the NIT, he's not getting that extension. So if he wins two in the Big Ten tournament, but then he's done on the first game in the NCAA tournament, I think he still gets he an gets an extension. Okay, I because it all depends on why. Like if we get to the NCAA tournament, and you match up against somebody with a seven footer scoring twenty a game, we're done before we showed up." Right, like that, like that bracket's gonna matter. Depending on who. Right now, we're matched up. The last thing I saw, we were matched up against Clemson. I'd love that rematch because I'm a little sad we lost early. I don't know why we lost early. That was one of our worst games of the year. I would really like that matchup again, but right. we'll have to see. Well, all right. Scott called me out because I had the football squad on here. I got the men's basketball squad on here. There was some other Maryland news that happened this week. That well, I didn't put in the outline and I didn't give any credit to Scott. Tell fans what's been going on. I, I mean, I think we got to give credit to this women's basketball team. hundred percent. Right? And, yeah. and really it, it starts in all honesty, it starts and ends with Brenda freeze. Yeah. This is the all time winningest female coach for the Terps. Yep. Right. Five, she hits her 500th win. I think now she's at 503. That was uh, last Sunday that she hit the 500th. So I think she's at 503 now. It, at Maryland, she's 503 and 130, right? She passes Chris Waller with his 499 from 1975 to 2002, right? So that's what, 20, 27 years? She's done it in 19. Yeah. Pretty impressive. I mean, they've they've been, been good for a long time. Yeah, yeah, that Maryland women's basketball team has been a top tier. That's everything. What they are is everything that we want <laughs> on the Maryland squad. We want to be that perennial team that's always in contention for a Final Four. You know, that top ten team. Maryland's women's Maryland's basketball squad has always been in the top ten since Brenda Freeze has been yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, it's not whether they make the tournament; it's whether they make the Final Four. Final Four. Right. That's the question. That's every exactly year. Yeah. right. Yep. And they they've really had a. a, a load of accomplishments. I mean, the 
ninth in the in the uh, in the league right now in the NCAA. So I think it just goes to show that she's just doing it consistently. It's her recruiting, but it's also her coaching, right? Some of, some of these girls. I, mean, I actually watched some highlights of the games. I'll be straight out with you two. Some of these girls, I think, could give some of the guys a run for their goddamn money. It wouldn't surprise me. Well, this these guys, these girls are patient with their shots. They shoot them and they shoot daggers, right? Whereas I think the men's team, and I didn't get I didn't get a chance to bring it up, but I think a lot of the times part of the reason and part of the problem with the Terps is we are rushing shots, or when we're being patient, we're being way too patient and not taking the open shot that's in front of us. Yeah, right. And so the women capitalize on this at an amazing rate. You know, both I think on both sides of the ball they shoot greater than forty percent, or not both sides of the ball on the three and from field goals they're shooting right. better than forty percent on both sides. That's damn good. That's damn good. I, I want to give uh, one more shout out to the women's basketball team since we're bringing this up uh, today. Had a notable player accomplishment on top of the great coach that we know Brendan Freeze is. Um, in a mind-blowing game of 111 to 93, when we're watching Maryland men's basketball scoring 65. 60 points a game. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Iowa scored 93? 93. 111 to 93 versus Iowa. Matt these Garza the- must have been fucking <laughs> with a wig on out there or something. <laughs> these, are the, these are the two top scoring teams in the nation. Uh, senior Katie Benson uh, set a program record with nine three-pointers. What's more, more impressive about that is she tied the old record – for a whole game of eight in the first half. She had eight three-pointers in the first half Jeez. that game. Now, I don't know how she only got one in the second half, because if I was her, I'd just be launching every I'd time. I'd have been shooting everything. Be like, right. We're going to see how high this record goes. Yeah. But then again, it was a tight I'm game. I'm in Dave Buster's bitch. I'm just win. throwing everything up. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, she gets that from the men. Just throw it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, one, one quick thing that I have noticed that's a little bit different, too, that I didn't bring up with uh, Aaron Wiggins or anything. Aaron Wiggins and Ayala, I've been seeing a lot more dribble drives to the basket. It's not the Anthony Cowan straight lines. It's right. like some fancy and one dribbles <laughs> around there. Like, I don't know how they're not getting the ball stolen, completely pickpocketed, but it's working. Yeah. Like, somehow they're driving in, doing a little weird post move and going up. I, I don't – it's it's, it's different. Gonna, it's going to be interesting to see how Maryland reacts because they've been they've been playing nothing but big – teams that have a ton of size not a whole lot of speed right they get into this ncaa tournament and they start playing against teams that are built similar to them you know guys that are more athletic guys that are more quick it's gonna be interesting to see how this terps team reacts to that because they're so used to size and i think to your point i think that if they're going yeah. up against some of these smaller teams it's gonna be weird not teams, playing 35 year old white gonna, men in the big 10 it's <laughs> yeah, also gonna exactly. come down to what bracket are they put in yeah so <laughs> right that's very true i did the dog again there it is song <laughs> Why do you keep switching that? <laughs> I, meant to, I meant to give you guys like a sad trombone we were talking about. Uh, <laughs> All right, it's time for the Liquor Stop Brew of the Week. Scott, what does Jerry and the crew have us drinking today? So this is uh, from Harpoon Brewing Company. Uh, one of the very few brewing Pretty companies good. that uh, they are quote-unquote employee-owned. Um, this is one of their seasonal uh, you know, winter beers, and it's appropriately named right now for everything we've been dealing with is The Long Fall. It fell pretty quick today, honestly. It did. Yeah. It did. <laughs> the rest of the week was was still yeah, ridiculous, was but uh, this was technically meant for last week, so it would have been real fitting last week. Uh, it's a hazy yeah. IPA, 6.2% ABV. In their words, this season in New England is fickle. Snowy mornings are met by sunny afternoons and weekday warm sta- warm streaks. Warm stakes. Yeah, warm streaks lead into blizzards. Instead of switching up our beer choices to match the weather, we brewed the long thaw 
a delightfully hazy IPA brewed with orange peel, coriander, and classic American hops. Soft, crushable, refreshingly citrus, but medium-bodied with a warming spice. It's different. It, or it's, it's a perfect in the sun as it, as it, as it is mid-blizzard. Jesus Christ, if I can talk. So not only is it a New England beer for the Ravens podcast, but uh, it also has a great green screen effect. Scott, why don't you go ahead and show them how the green screen yeah, works with yeah. this? You want to see it's that? really awesome. Hey, you want to see the beer over there? There's <laughs> yes. the beer. There's the beer. So, see? So here's, the, stop? here's the label for the guy that doesn't have the green screen effect. We're yeah. going to go in there for you. It's a pretty good beer. Uh, like you said, it's got a little bit of an orange citrusy kind of aftertaste to it for an IPA. You don't get the. It does have a good amount of hop to it. I'm over here like. Yeah, but it's not it's the like IPA. You get the hop, but it's not the IPA bite <laughs> no, that right. you get. It's a lot of hop. Oh, it's a lot of hop yeah. for sure. And it's strong. I mean, six point two percent alcohol it's is on obviously the bottom, a, a decent. Volume. I got hop all over the place on this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's got a little because of the orange. I think it's got a little bit of a of a blue moon kind of vibe to it, even though it's an IPA. I would put a fresh orange in it, like an yeah. orange slice with it, and see how it is. I For think sure. it would actually be pretty good. Well, make sure you get the liquor stop. Tell the boys that Birdland BS sent you. Get your ten percent off. Make sure that this isn't the Taco Bell. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> I think for, cons- for consistency purposes, we should have just turned into Taco Bell. Oh, All right, Scott, it's time for some bros, bows, and o's. We gave you a break there while Ryan and I dished out some stuff with the time. I got a so- shot. I crawled across the floor. Got a shot from James. Thank you, James. <laughs> Might need a refill in a minute. Uh, Pitchers and catchers. Last Report Tuesday. Report camp last Tuesday. Um, along with some other notables like Trey Mancini actually showing up early to camp. Yeah. Uh, you know, shows you the drive. He Would you expect right anything less no, from Trey Mancini? Like, no, that's just him. I just thought it was mentionable, right? Yeah. You know, not a lot of guys do that. Um, he showed up, and I think it looks good, been, man. Um, I think it, I forget who the other one was. It might have been Ruiz that showed up early. Um, somebody else showed up early with him. But yeah, everything's looking good. Full squad reported today. Nice. Uh, and. One of the things that kind of got cleared up today, you were the one that kind of brought this up. Yeah. You saw some news about Santander, obviously a lot of question marks last year with his oblique, and then some of the rumors that have come up. What did you What did you see today? Yeah, so there were a lot of rumors uh, in the offseason about Santander and whether or not he was going to be with the squad if the, if the Orioles were actually looking to shop him, and apparently they were. Uh, just kind of trying to gauge some interest. So you're always wondering, especially with a younger player like Santander, like, does that affect him mentally? Uh, and he, they right. interviewed him today, and everything that he said seemed to be positive, that he understood the business side of things. And obviously, he went through it being a Rule, five, a rule 5 guy. Yeah, he gets right. it. So he understands the business side <laughs> of things. He gets it more than, more than most, probably. Right. But I think what was most impressive, and all the coaching staff and everybody that talked about it, said that he came in in the best shape that he's been in, uh, that he looks good. So even with all the rumors, he didn't let that deter him or put him off track you know, with his offseason mm-hmm. training and all that stuff. This is a guy that brings a lot of tools to the table. And this is a guy that I think is still on the rise as far as potential goes, right? You know, he he started off the year last year. Granted, it's a shortened season. But started off the year like gangbusters and then came back down to earth later on in the year. But there's a ton of potential with this kid, right? And he's still very young. So my question to you is with him, are you really fake, like putting trade feelers out there for a guy like this who is young enough that he could still be a potential block for the future. If you really think that we're going to be competitive again in two years from now, right? We (laughs) talked about it being a three-year thing. Two years from now, why wouldn't this kid be a potential piece to that? When it comes down to it, right, we've talked about hearing everything out. 
I think for me, I'd like to see Santander here. I absolutely would. I think you can build you can build an outfield around him. Let him be the leader out there. And he made big strides in the outfield. Huge last strides. Year. Huge strides. He was in running for a Gold Glove. And I think that's something to say. But there there's a value there that comes in. You have some cogs that you think are are going to be your future mm-hmm. that you don't think are very far away. That can kind of I don't know necessarily in the outfield that anybody fits that cog. But an outfield can be serviceable, right? Because you have time to read and react. That's what you have to worry about with guys in the outfield. I don't want to shop Santander, but I get why maybe they are. If you can get something in value in return for him, I'm, I'm hearing it out, right? Somebody that's a competitor right now sees the hot streak that he's on. And, you know, especially if he starts off the season the way that he has over the past few years, I'm, I'm fielding phone calls, you know, come May-ish, I'm fielding them because I'm seeing what's out there and I know what I'm where my team's going. I know what my team's doing. This team definitely has done a lot on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Which is the only reason I'm hesitant because he has done a lot offensively for this team. So I, I, I'm really honestly torn. I don't know that I can give you the answer. I'm willing to hear things out. We've talked about here that. We talked about it with Mancini as much as we don't want to. You hear it out. If there's something that blows you away, you have to weigh what's the effect on this for me for the future. And that, then you make your decision. And that's where I agree with you. I, I'm 100% open, and I told you this before, I'm listening to all offers for anybody. Now, that doesn't mean I'm willing to give away anybody. It's going to have to take quite the package to be able to pull certain guys away. I'm going to say this. If you're talking main 40-man... I agree with you. But if you're talking organization, I'm saying hell no. Because we're ranked seventh now. Yeah. In baseball. But again. Seventh best ranked farm system. Again. I'm not giving that shit up. I, I'm listening. I'm listening to everything. Now, I don't think that there's going to be offers out there that, that the, the Orioles are going to even entertain. Right? But Santander... I'm not giving him away for a bag of balls like oh, I am no. with Chris some Davis. of these some of these veterans that we knew weren't going to be a part of the future plan. We were just trying to get prospects in hopes that these prospects prosper and turn into pieces that could be for the future. If you're getting Santander from me, who is, I consider, a piece for the future, then I'm going to need pieces that I know are going to be for my future for him. I'm not giving him away for a low a potential prospect i'm giving him away for almost can't miss prospects that's the only way i'm giving away a santander and it might have to be for two pieces because again to pry a piece that i think is a block for the future it's going to take that to get him away yeah you're gonna have a lot and i think there 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 are some cogs that maybe not necessarily you're building around but they're fillers right now um that obviously one of them Last year, wound up you wound up you know trading. I don't think we traded him. I think we released him. But now he's got an invite back to camp. Stevie Wilkerson, yeah, right. Who did came in as a pitcher, right? Did great with it. Made an amazing play in Boston, right? Previously, the previous year in 2020. I mean, the guy has abilities. So he's another guy that you could help build around and be a filler for a guy like Santander. Um, I, I just don't know that I'm. It's got to be a blowaway trade for me for Santander. So, so you mentioned it kind of in passing, right? Some latest rankings and reports, Baseball America, these guys out there have put some rankings on their minor league systems. Yeah. 
And the Orioles right now sit seventh best in Major League Baseball. Highest the Orioles have ever been. That's pretty fucking impressive. So for everybody out there that doesn't believe in the, the rebuild process, can't wait until this team is competitive again. I think we need a dream sequence for this statement. Remember two years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> this, is, this is it. This is the plan coming to fruition. It starts with your roots, and the roots were dead with this organization. Mm -hmm. Well, these roots now have lives. They're starting to, to, to sprout. They're starting to grow again. Seventh-ranked system in Major League Baseball in a two-year switch that's yeah. super, super impressive. It's impressive considering they give up. You know, Drew brings up they did get a team's number seven prospect for Cobb. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're spot right. on with that. Um, I think the other thing that comes into is they're trying to bring in guys, I think, to fill the stopgap a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we talked about Felix Hernandez, um, you know, specifically pitchers, what we're referencing. But the Orioles also go out and sign former all-star pitcher Matt Harvey. 31 years old. I am Batman. <laughs> Fifth team in five in the last five years he's yeah. been with, right? Um, last year, not so hot. He was 0-3 with an 11.57 uh, ERA through four starts and three relief, relief appearances in, for Kansas City. His fastball has dipped from 97 where it was in 2013. Now it's at 94 and a half when he's, when he's mm, doing that's well. That's still a decent life. It is, but it's a drop for a guy that's used to throwing 97, 98, right? Yeah. The 97 is an average. Yeah, I know. So, obviously, he all, former All-Star 2013. 2013 was kind of the, the worst year for him because that's when he had to have Tommy John surgery, and yep. I don't feel like he's ever truly come back from that. He hasn't. And he also had, uh, was it? I think it was, he had to have an operation. It was a thoracic, uh, or thoracic outlet syndrome. I don't know what that is. You just speak gibberish to me. I have no idea. I don't know. It's Chinese. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but he had an, I have an operation in 2016. Um, in the last five years, he has had not one year with a sub five ERA. Yep. I think that that's telling of where his career is right now. And this is another situation of the Orioles bringing guys in. So, you know, in cogs and guys that have had success in the past. So let's give him that, right? Let's not ignore that he has had success in the past. Maybe he just needs a different place to figure it out. A lot I mean, of guys have had success in the past. Doesn't mean you should sign him. Oh, I know. But what I'm saying is he's on a, he's on a low risk deal. It's like a 1 million minor yep. league deal, league minimum. Do you like it or not is the question. No, absolutely not. Why? And, kind of like I told you about the, the Felix Hernandez thing. I understand it, right? Because what they're, they're hoping is they, he figures things out. He, he, he's kind of digs the whole analytical thing, which is obviously yeah. what the Orioles organization is doing. Right. So they're hoping that that helps him re canter the, you know, the success that he had in years past. He'll never be what he once was. Oh, right? hell no, he won't. But if the Orioles can get, you know... He was in the running for the Cy Young back then, by the way. Right. If they can get some productive starts out of him, they're obviously hoping to flip him for another prospect, right? That's the only reason you make this deal. And I understood it with Felix Hernandez. I, I give them leeway to do that with maybe one guy that you're going to spot hole into a spot in the rotation. Because right now, this Orioles rotation has a lot of question marks. You, outside of, like, two guys, John Means and Keegan Aiken, you really don't know who else is going to be in the starting rotation right. going into this year. You bring in a Felix Hernandez. Okay, so that gives you, uh, that gives you three. three. Spots. 
Now you bring in a Matt Harvey who's going to be eating up starts. This is where it starts to be a problem for me with halting experience for some of the young and upcoming starters. Like who? And I'm not talking the the Grayson Rodriguez. I'm not talking the DL Hall. Those guys are still a year away before they're going to make it here, right? But a guy like Michael Ballman. Right. Okay. Michael Ballman is a guy who's proven it at the double A level and even the triple A level high on him right now. I, I like this kid and, and he came in to spring and right now everybody's raving about the zip that he had on his fastball and some of the bullpen sessions that he threw. And granted it's bullpen sessions. You don't know what you're getting, but he's proven at the minor league level that he can do it. Yeah. His next step is showing that he can do it at the major league level. I don't think Matt Harvey is going to garner you any true prospect value. So at this point, all you're really doing is blocking the development of a Michael Ballman at the major league level, getting him the experience that he needs. That's I, my problem. I get it. it. You're also bringing Matt Harvey in, you know, to see what he to see what he can do. He's on a minor league deal, so he goes in the minors, you know, no matter what. If you want, yeah, you have him there. Now he's fit. Now some of these, some, now some of your batters in double and triple A. If you want to send him down to double A, go ahead. You have the ability to. He's on a minor league deal. It doesn't say he has to be in triple A. So put him in double A. Let him throw against some of these some of these young kids. Let them get the experience of going off guy that a guy that has been around the league a little bit, and knows the league, and gets it. So I. I get the upside even off the field for for the Matt Harvey signing, but I get what you're saying about Ballman because there's another guy that that you know you didn't even mention that I think has to be thrown into the cusp because this guy that put in work in this offseason last yeah. season, Dean Kramer. Oh, 100%. I think Dean Kramer wins a job out of in the rotation this The spring. way he looked the end of last year and then he not only took the time to develop a change this offseason, you've developed the change up. But this is a guy they let him develop a cutter, and they're saying this cutter looks damn good. Wait a second. Yes, I just said an Orioles pitcher is throwing a cutter. And it was their idea to develop it? I don't know if it was their idea, but they're letting him do it, and that's a big step. That right is direction. a huge <laughs> step in the right direction for the Orioles organization. Christ, where's Jake Arrieta when you need I know, him, right? right? <laughs> where, where was this about nine years ago? Jesus. Uh, yeah, no, it's... It, but. Dean Kramer's look good, and it's the same situation for me that it is, you know, for you with Ballman. I think Dean Kramer... But that even that even solidifies it even more for me, because now, you're right, I forgot about Dean Kramer. I think now Dean he's Kramer... Got four pitches. Now you got four Now you got four pitchers in there. You got one spot left in the rotation, and you're going to block that with Matt Harvey well, and not have a Michael Ballman just, get the experience? It's not even just the four the four pitchers. Your fourth pitcher, which Dean Kramer, I would... I would in, unless he blows everybody away and... Felix kind of maybe does okay. I think he's your number four, right? I think Felix is your number three, good middle of the rotation kind of guy where he's at in his career. I don't right even now. think one, two, three, four, five even matters. It's more so who are those five going to be? And if Matt Harvey is in that equation, that fucks it up for me. That 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 keeps a guy like Ballman down when he needs right. the experience. My only my biggest thing though is a guy like Dean Kramer is obviously over Ballman just for the simple fact that. Your number four pitcher, this is where I was going with this. Your number four pitcher has four pitches. Right. Your number four guy usually has three if you're lucky. You know, usually, usually. it's fastball, curveball. Maybe right. maybe you're throwing the change in there. Now he's got to change and he's got a cutter. Yeah. I'm really excited to, to see what Dean Kramer can bring to the table this year. And, and I, I hope this coaching staff really helps him along. Speaking of coaching staff. Yeah. Some Interesting uh, comments on Twitter this past week. Now, this wouldn't be the first time he said it, but no. uh, 
Former outfielder Adam Jones had some interesting comments today or the other day on Twitter. Yeah, so he was talking to Aaron Maben. He was actually responding to him and just said, you know, said, just say the word. I got a few more years in Japan, then I'm open. They were talking about him managing. Um, and he said, also, want to be the O's manager. He put it right out there. He said, in some years, Jones responded. Uh, he said, they have a good guy right now to lead. Talking about Hyde. Yep. Gives him the respect. I appreciate that. But just speaking in future or the GM, we all know I look good in a suit. Ha ha. <laughs> so, you know, Adam Jones just sees himself as a career, you know, as a, a career He's baseball a guy. Baseball lifer. Right. And he he has good knowledge. He, I think we saw his growth, which could help and translate to some of these young guys. Yeah. Right. Um, and I have to say, like, we don't know what life beyond Hyde is. And you were talking before the show that neither of us are ready to write Hyde off. Yeah. No, I, I like everything that I've seen out of Hyde so far. I like... I like how he talks with the media. I like the programs that he's put together. I like the improvements that we've seen. Everything that we've heard out of the clubhouse, minus the one incident that he had with Chris Davis, but fuck, fuck that, that guy. <laughs> Who cares, right? Good riddance if he did have a, a, an issue with him. I like everything that I've seen out of that out of Brandon Hyde that I'm not ready to 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 turn the 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 naked eye to him and bring in a guy like Adam Jones no, no, just no, no. because he's had the tenure here. No, I, I think what it comes down to is, is there there's a lot of as much flack as I have admittedly given Adam Jones um for the hitting and the the chasing after the consistent curveball that we know is coming him looking like goddamn Pedro Serrano <laughs> when it comes to the curveball at times. Um I do think he brings a certain leadership role to any team that he's on. Yeah. Um, I think he he's a guy that you can trust to to give. I mean, this is a guy that knew he was on the way out the door and said to Cedric Mullins, you're taking this team out here. Yeah. Right? That takes a true leader. He's a class act. Right. And so it, this really got me thinking this week. Right? And it's the reason that these two guys are up here. If Adam Jones... Cakes! Exactly. If Adam Jones were to become manager... I could personally and truly see a Cakes Jones reunion and bring Cakes in as either your bench coach or your hitting instructor. Or an outfield coach. There's so many things in value that. Or an outfielder. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many things in value that Nick Markakis could bring. I mean, he's Uh, he's one of the most consistent hitters in baseball, even in the the quote decline over the past years. And last year he didn't participate because of COVID. And that's fine. But the year prior to that, he still had one of the most consistent numbers in his career, like to match his career. He's one of the most consistent hitters in baseball right now, outside of like your Mike Trouts, right? Who are way above what Cakes was. Love you, Cakes, but Trouts on a different level. Oh, of course, he's a different level than everybody. Right. But my point is, is you know, why not Especially bring in contract a contract wise? Why not bring in a guy that knows how to hit? Knows, yeah. can, can hit for power, but knows how to hit for base hits. You're not going to get any negative comments out of me on this. Bring 21-10 back. I'm for it. <laughs> yeah. you know? Mark gets played last year. He did. Yeah, he did. Well, he wound up coming yeah, back. Yeah, came back. He originally said he wasn't going to play because of COVID. But, but just to get on track, you bring in these guys like Harvey and Felix. Like I said before, I don't know why they, they just don't try to put Chris Davis in the bullpen. Like, I'm telling you, you're paying the guy. He didn't do bad. Like, I, I watched his highlights against Boston that game that he pitched. He had a slider thrown between 83 to, like, uh, mid-90s. Like, just, just try it out. You can't yeah. do any more damage to it. So get, get your value. Right. So on a similar thought process, I think they're trying to cut all this salary. I think we cut the whole team. 
you get a five dollar discount. Can we just you, mute him? Listen, you get a five dollar discount if you bring your you glove the to the just, game. Just take a nap during the Orioles segment, please. <laughs> just go to sleep. You just bring your glove to the game. They pick out twelve people to go play. <sighs> How much fun would that be? I'd go to every game just to see if I get on TV. Just go to sleep. Just <laughs> go to just, sleep. Just It'll be you, over in a few minutes. Just, I promise. Just to let you know, this is like <sighs> panning out to be our like real major league movie, like. They could go out there and just be surprisingly like. Wait, wait. There's zero point zero percent there, James. I don't know. I, no, no. I, I think I, I get what James is. I, I think I get a little bit. And correct me if I'm wrong. Where you're going with this? With the payroll being so low and like they had nothing to lose, so like. Let's not forget this could happen. We Let's just not need forget that cardboard cut out of the lady that we remove clothing from when we win, right? <laughs> they better start sacrificing some live chickens <laughs> in that locker room. <laughs> and, and Carlos, Hyde, I mean, Hyde is like, I'm too old to be jumping in the showers. <laughs> I love this pretty shit. I may move to England. <laughs> I think I get where James is going because let's not forget what this team did from an offensive standpoint last year. They surprised a lot of people with the produ offensive production of this team last year. This no, hundred percent. Granted, you're losing a, you're losing several of those guys. Just to say, agency. you lost a lot of those. You're especially in your offensive talent. But, but with the with the farm system, yeah, you, these guys are going to be locked in for a little and, while. And have, who knows? Have they really said like how many games they're going to play yet? Well, their goal is 162, yeah, but yeah. There, there's been slowed out 150, 160. Yeah. But I was just looking at like this year, Chris Davis gets 17 million. Next year, he gets 17 million with a 23 million dollars in um, luxury tax. And he'll but then after that, that, he's year. got deferred money from uh, two, um, 23 to all the way to. 2037. Uh, yeah. It's the Bobby Vanilla yeah. deal. It's yeah. like this guy's never going to be broke, dude. No. No. <laughs> no. But not look, I, I'm not going to. Am I going to blame him for the way he's playing? Absolutely. Am I going to blame him for the fact that he got a steal of a contract? No, but no, I'm not I do that. blame him for not putting no effort in. Like, he doesn't care about just nothing. Like, he just wants to show up and hopefully they release him and he can just, person just stay home. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right, it is time for this week's rundown. And we got to start off a story. We're going to throw it to James for a quick story. Uh, he has a great story. Really um, unique opportunity. Unique opportunity. I hate you because I didn't get the chance to do it. Like, amazing situation. Tell us the story of what happened to you last okay. week or the week so, before. Like, two weeks ago, my cousin texted me early in the morning saying, hey, would you be inter interested in coming down to shop? Um, for those who don't know, James works at Pizza Jobs. <laughs> yes. Doc Gooding is going to show up. And I'm like to him in response, I'm like, yeah, I'll be there. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, no way. So then I'm thinking, like, if he really shows up, I'm going to be deeply pissed because uh, all the kids down at the shop, they didn't know who this guy was. And, uh, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy store, and so is my cousin because he <laughs> was showing the your pitcher. age, James. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> he was the pitcher growing up. Like, yeah, he, was he was the man, and the stories that you hear about it was uh crazy but he Papa actually Jones. came down and i'm gonna have we, to mute his mic <laughs> he actually came down and uh had dinner because he was visiting his kids that actually live in columbia and my cousin's best friend is his agent so it worked out he came down got to sit down and shoot the shit he signed some stuff for me awesome guy great stories and uh hopefully you know we can uh, get more out of this later, but it was great. That's time, pretty man. cool. I mean, it, with with yeah. obviously him and uh, the connection he had with with Daryl Strawberry and 
all God, the, the drugs, she must have <laughs> all the drugs and women and everything that they went through in their heyday and stuff. Man, I would love to but have been able to sit down and he talk. His curveball talk was show. nasty. Yeah, oh, yeah. nasty. Well, I mean, curve. you're talking about a guy that played from '84 to 2000, four-time All Star. '84, he was the Rookie of the Year. '85, he won the the NL Cy Young, or I'm sorry, he won the Cy Young Award and the NL Triple Crown. Mm-hmm. And then in '92, as a pitcher. <laughs> Won the Silver Slugger Award. Yeah. yeah. The dude was the real deal. He won, what, 24 yeah. games in his second year second pitching? Second year. Yeah. 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 I mean, impressive. it's just imp- impressive. Like, super jealous of the fact that you got to meet him. I would have loved to have, to have picked his brains with this, like you were talking about with this, yeah. just the, the stories, not only, you know, the off the field stuff that we all know of, but the, the on the field stuff. But I know that he's also been, he's been sober for several years now, right? Yeah. Two years he talked about he's been, been clean and uh, he's down to earth guy, like, you know, it looked like a normal conversation with him and wasn't like, you know, get away from me, um, trying just to, you know, eat my food or whatever. But he took the time to sign anything, not just because he thought he had to, but he, a couple uh, employees asked to sign some stuff. It was, it was awesome. And, that is uh, cool. It, he's it, a big guy, isn't he? Yeah. The picture looked as you showed us. Six, eight. I got Jesus pictures. Christ. I have, I got to take a picture with my son and I just can't wait to the day where like, I'm going to bring him up into baseball and let him enjoy himself and then him look back at that picture and be like, wow, that was cool. Yeah. 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 That's really awesome. All right. So we got to go from a high note and a great story to a, <laughs> uh, a rather sad story, but we had to bring this up because this, uh, this happened just a few days ago, but, uh, what well, happened last week before the show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, former wide receiver, uh, San Diego charger, Tampa Bay Buccaneer, Vincent Jackson, unfortunately, was found dead in uh, in his, I guess, in a hotel room uh, in Tampa Bay. Uh, this is a guy that I had hoped would be a Raven at one point, just because he he embodied that like Anquan Bolden type play, right? He was yeah. that big, physical wide receiver that go up and catch it, that put you know, the work in. He was just he was just a very, very good. Great player, but then everything that you hear about him off the field, I mean, he won the Walter Payton Award, I think, a couple of different – or he was the, the nominee for his team at least like two or three times. <laughs> yeah, uh, Just a, just an all-around good guy. It's a tragic story. I mean, I, I haven't heard the details yet. I don't know if they've if they've confirmed if it's a suicide or if they've confirmed it was, you know, I personally else. haven't seen anything. It kind of like quieted down a little bit, yeah. um, so I don't know what the story is. But, I mean, they, like you said, this guy was around. He played 12 seasons. He last played in 2016, according to – this is all per Greg Allman. Played in 2016, was an early mentor for Mike Evans, Yeah, right, in 20, from 2014 to 2016. Makes sense. They're similar. Right. In five years in Tampa, uh, he won Man of the Year honors for the four times, as you mentioned. Yeah. 12 seasons seasons in the league. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, 540 receptions. He was a thousand yard, or, I'm sorry, 920 yards shy of 10,000 career yards. Yeah. Right? Big number there. 57 career touchdowns. Just a, a, a really great athlete, really great player. Everything you heard was, he was also active in the community. Um, you know, when Tampa brought him on, they liked his, his work ethic on and off the field, which is why he wound up you know, being nominated as their player of the year and man of the year. Um, so sad news there. Um, I'm sure we'll hear more that'll come out over the coming weeks as they do, they, you know. He had an alcohol problem, too. He drank yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, thoughts and prayers with his family yeah. and friends. Uh, wanted to make sure we at least brought that up. Yeah. Uh, from that sad news to really weird crazy-ish news in Deion Sanders, right? This was a weird fucking <laughs> so, thing. Not, we're going to unmute you for this one yeah, now. You're, okay? you're off the you're tension. Un- <laughs> so, um, 
in house. No, first suspension. of all, first of all, he makes his coaching debut. Uh, for Jackson State, which is an, is a Division One school, he made it as their head coach. He gets the first win in a fucking blowout, unbelievable, fifty three to, to nothing. But it was versus an NAIA Division One team. It's a little bit different class of football here, yeah. you know. So it's it's a little bit different. But he gets the win. But the story of the game is the fact that his items were stolen. The mid-game. press conference was epic. <laughs> Yeah, it completely went away from the game, and it all became about him and his belongings being stolen and it being a big issue. And then there was a tweet out that said that, no, his belongings weren't stolen. Somebody on the staff moved them. They were misplaced. And then he came back and said, nah, somebody saw the guy stole them and caught him red-handed. It became this whole mess of a situation (laughs) on social media, which was what social media provides. It takes anything and makes a mess of a situation. Well, that's what it did. Yeah. you you got to look into what Prime's going to bring here, though. It's going to be exciting, and he's going to get kids to go there. Oh, but, hell yeah. But it's going to be a mess. Whenever anything, there's he's certain, a show. Exactly. And he's there's certain show. things like it this, though. Time for These are certain things like this that don't, especially when you're trying to build a program up, that don't need to become public knowledge. Keep this shit in-house. Work it out and figure things out, like, internally. It doesn't need to be public yeah. knowledge because all that does is if paint gets, a bad picture his, of the university. If it gets leaked later, it's one thing. His whole press conference was supposed to be a staff meeting. Like right. He was talking about how this is why I'm here to improve the to improve the um the program, not only the players, but the staff, the security, the janitors. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard of care. <laughs> yeah, that's the staff meeting, bro. That's not the press conference. <laughs> right. Like this is exactly what you should have said tomorrow morning. Right. Like, right now you smile and you nod at the cameras and talk about how honored you are to have your first win as a coach. And then you fifty three to nothing. Fifty three to yeah. nothing you like, won. And then you turn around and you say, We're elevating the program. That's yeah. how you leave it if you want to talk about the press. Yeah. We're elevating our program. You don't make yeah. it about There's you, a lot of problems here we're walking through it. Hey, and exactly. then you not, let them go. Not <laughs> everything is sunshine and roses right now, but we're handling it. Yeah. You know, but, and just move on. But it's fucking Dion. It's prime This is time. a multi millionaire Dion yeah. Sanders. Like I 100% believe it. I'm sorry you're going to have to call your credit card companies and cancel your credit yep. cards. I'm sorry that you probably lost $2,000 in watches or whatever the fuck it was. It didn't need to yeah. be public Thank knowledge. Thank God I yeah. had my necklaces on. Yeah. That's I didn't want to lose that $10,000. Thank God $10, I had my necklaces on. Yeah, right. Get I 100% believe it was stolen. Their PR team is who said it wasn't stolen. And he then went against his own PR team and said it was. So... It's going to be a really entertaining. He's going to be all over ESPN, which will help Jackson State in the short term. In the long run, it's going to be a disaster. Don't wait so, jewelry. It's going to yeah, be right. <laughs> so speaking of entertaining, I don't know if you guys saw this or not. Did you see the clip with Cam Newton and the kid? You ass. His- <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't you mean, uh, what? Oh, shit. Now I lost the You're fucking You're going to be joke. poor. No, I lost the fucking joke. Cam Free Newton. Who's the guy that goes, I'm, I'm rich, rich. bitch. Uh, <laughs> I'm rich, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Yeah, the whole thing. Oh, my God. Cam Newton <laughs> you holds, be poor. His, his, holds his football camp, seven, seven versus seven football camp. And, you know, he's got one of these, like, hotshot fucking kids out there that's, you know, talking a little trash to him. He was talking a lot of smack. Yeah, he's talking a lot of smack. He probably shouldn't have. It was pretty pretty disrespectful (laughs) from his age. But listen, Cam Newton didn't have to come back with the bullshit that he said either. It was a little immature on Cam Newton's side, too. Now, granted, he eventually wrapped that up and cleaned it up and apologized and had a whole heart-to-heart with the kid, with the coach there and all that. 
but the whole he? I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm yeah. rich, I'm did, rich. Did you read what that? The fuck? Did you read his like statements? I heard it. I his, saw the video. Well, no, 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 that's the started, problem. He put out an he put out a statement afterwards that was done in Apple Notes. Yes. That which, then he put on his Instagram. No, that was the Twitter. kid. No. no, 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 no. The kid did a separate one. Oh. Cam also put one out. I didn't and, see that. And in this like hieroglyphic. It was font. a horrible The font. weirdest font you've ever seen in your life. So that, it was a Cam Newton so font. The, the words, yeah, the it, the font dressed like Cam Newton does. <laughs> yeah. and, and the words were fine. But like 80% of people were commenting like, I couldn't get through the first sentence. Who types in that font? Right. <laughs> so it's, like, it's like you still got to make everything a show. Yeah. And, well, but the, the kid was completely, completely in the wrong. In the wrong but You're so at a Cam. camp. Cam, Cam doesn't have to do these camps. He's doing this camp, and the kid didn't need to be so disrespectful. Yeah. Like that's but, but you I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree with you. But Cam needs to be the better person here. I agree with that. And not be, not be a response. I'm rich, bitch. I'm I rich. I'm I rich. Like, Where you're doing you look like a fucking <laughs> you know, idiot. And what's so sad about this whole thing is like right after that, right after that incident, I watched this Cam Newton interview. So Oh, you were telling me about that. So there's a there's a podcast out there. I think it's called The Athlete or Athlete. And it's it's a podcast with Brandon, Brandon Marshall, Marshall, Chad Johnson, and Fred Taylor, former running back. And it's the three of them, and they brought in Cam Newton. And you really got to see, like, a different side of Cam. a An uncensored, un, you know, very, you know. Candid. Candid responses and open conversation that he had all about mainly his experience in, in New, New England. England last year and what went right, what didn't. He wasn't one to point fingers at anybody. He was one that took a lot of ownership on stuff. All the the glitz and glam that you see Cam, like with the fancy hats and the outfits and bullshit that he wears, he does that shit for a reason. And in this interview, you get to see like a little bit about why he does those things. And it really, it painted Cam in a much better light. But then you have this fucking type of reaction. You're like, but this is what people see. Like, they don't see this interview. This is what makes the news. No, they, it's the dumb shit that you it's, do. It's your interviews where you're dressed like an idiot and you're just, uh, yeah. after yeah. press, and after the, a game, like you don't give a shit. And then you do this with, with a kid. And <laughs> instead of saying, instead of saying, man, won't you show me on the field? Drew, on the field. Drew, said, Drew says, yeah, Aaron Hernandez, a misunderstood guy, according to Cam. Yeah. He was a misunderstood guy, according to everybody on that chat, in that in that podcast. Because everybody, it was it was Cam Newton um, and uh, uh, who was it? Um, was it Brandon? No, it wasn't Brandon Marshall. Brandon Marshall's the one that's in charge of that, I think. Right, no, I yeah. know, but so, somebody somebody else had close relations with Aaron Hernandez personally. and How close? I, yeah, like, I, don't, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. <laughs> I, obviously, that they were they jail lovers too. Well, the, the other thing about <laughs> the, camp, the camp situation, I don't know if you saw it come out today on ESPN, was that uh, Bill Belichick, is, Fred Taylor, was it? Because Fred Taylor okay. was the running back at Florida. Sorry. Bill Belichick came out and basically said that about Cam. He was like, "Cam's a misunderstood guy." <laughs> yeah, that's why you misunderstand him. But yeah. Cam's problem with his argument was they were arguing like they were on the same level, and also Cam rolled back what he said with his statement, saying that. I was asking him where his daddy was so that I could have a conversation with an adult. No, no, you were you saying were, that saying you were saying you don't you have, don't have, have a kid. father. That right. was what you were saying. Yeah. You were calling him out saying you don't have a daddy, and that's why you're acting like this, which is a real bad thing to be throwing around in this conversation. And I he agree. could have very easily pulled this kid aside. So, yeah. uh, got to talk about. We didn't talk about it last week, obviously. So the the Daytona 500, um, 20 years since Dale Earnhardt, the Intimidator, passing. Um, I think they did a real great job of honoring him this year. You know, they kind of do it every year where they throw up the three 
you know, on the third lap. But this year, I think it just took it to another level. Um, you know, I kind of get choked up just talking about it. The, the Daryl Waltrip story. Yeah. That they did. Um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm not the, the most Hard avid. To of, that was 20 years right, ago. I know. Godly. Feel yep. old, right? I mean, yeah. but this is the Daryl Waltrip story. It, 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 it got me. Like I, I, I will be the first one to admit I cried during that. Yeah. Because, so did the Kyle Petty story. Yes. Um, just the the way that they presented it, um, Waltrip's recount of it, it puts you in that like, you know what he meant to the sport, you yeah. know how he was. Um, so I, I think it just really come comes to a great piece. But it also you know was a catalyst. Unfo- unfortunately, his death was a catalyst for NASCAR. You know, and that's that's kind of what Kyle uh, Kyle Petty was talking about because Kyle yeah. Kyle Petty lost his son to the exact same car wreck just a couple of weeks or months prior to to Dale Earnhardt. And that's when Petty and everybody really started to like focus in on this Hans device and people started wearing the Hans device, but most, most most of the drivers like rejected it because it wasn't comfortable. They just didn't like it. NASCAR didn't do anything to mandate it. It was an optional thing. It was another thing that they were offering as a protective service from deaths like that. Right. But even Kyle like alluded to it took Dale Earnhardt, a living legend, to pass for NASCAR and everybody to really wake up to it and be like, this yeah. is mandatory. Well, like, and, this you know, has happened. And ever since then, this is 20 years now. Yeah. Not one death. Well, there was a string there right before Dale Earnhardt's death. There were like five, six deaths. In a matter in like, of seven, eight years, yeah. Not even that. In a yeah, matter was, of a couple of years yeah. that were all the same in result of the same accident. Since that Hans device, twenty years later, not a single I mean, one. Yeah, but it's, it almost happened last year. But it didn't. But it didn't. I'm, 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 no, I'm saying that but it, goes to show. That. But that's that's what the point is. That's where I was kind of alluding to the situation with Ryan Newman. You know, everybody jumped to the Newman bar, right? That's I think that's what they're what they're calling it because it's, it's the bar that he wanted put in after one of his crashes to give yeah. him extra protection. They credited it with that. After investigation, it was the combination of the Newman bar and the Hans device that saved Ryan Newman's 100%. Life. 100%. Right. He does not walk out of that hospital nah. without nah. that Hans device. Nah. I think the next day he was out. They have like a it was it was like within 2 days. It was, it was yeah, a yeah. couple yeah. days and he was out walking with his daughters. You saw the picture as like it's yeah, just, as they're walking out not, of the hospital. And not to get off the NASCAR but uh did you hear what Michael Jordan said to Bubba Wallace? Oh yeah, the, we're we're done. You're gonna run at the front of the pack. We're not. We're yeah, done. We're, we're done losing. We're done losing. Yeah, I yeah. love that. He's like, I don't accept losing. <laughs> and like, if that's coming from Michael Jordan, that means fun. something. <laughs> you're listening. That's not just your average Joe saying, "Hey, I'm done with losing." I'm not, I'm not no. paying you. Just Michael Jordan good. puts <laughs> his mind to something. Right. Well, it's him and Denny Hamlin. He expects right? you know it's it, both of them. Denny Hamlin's been a, a pretty pretty successful driver. Yeah. Right. So you know he's trying. They're trying to elevate Bubba, which is is great. <laughs> Speaking uh, of success, well, so I did want to mention Michael McDowell did win um, in the the Daytona yeah. 500 on First the final win. lap. Yeah. With a crazy ass wreck at the rent yeah. at the end, two yep. teammates. Yeah, that's, I mean that's that's basically a yearly event at Daytona. The last lap, it's, same thing. Yeah. With, that's when Dale Earnhardt died. Was the last lap at Daytona. Yeah, that's when everybody gets chaotic, start making moves that they shouldn't be making, and bad things happen. And we got to stick with Daytona for a quick second as the last topic here. Uh, Daytona road courses. Um, 
were won by one, a raw rookie. And what I mean by that is Tyler Gibbs. And yes, I said Gibbs. Yeah, it's a familiar name. Grandson, For us old folk. Grandson <laughs> of Joe Gibbs. He wins Saturday's Xfinity race. And get this, it was his first ever NASCAR race. Joe Gibbs racing is legit. And they have always been legit since he's come over from football. He wouldn't have put his grandson in that card if he didn't think his grandson could win. No. Period. Simple no. as that. Um, and then the other on Sunday, the cup race... Second-year driver Christopher Bell sneaks by Joey Logano to get the win. Uh, last year, he was racing for, I think it was JRG Racing, but he was on he was lent out to JRG by Joe Gibbs. Joe Gibbs Racing. Yep. So two wins, one weekend, road courses. Safe to say, so far this year, Joe Gibbs has got a winning team. Pretty impressive. boundaries two topics 30 seconds each it's time for the two minute warning fred you're slacking on the fans and not giving us a double gang sign this <laughs> I feel like if i'm throwing up gang signs it gives people the wrong idea <laughs> yeah, nobody's intimidated when scott does it no no <laughs> Screw you guys. I'm not coming back next week. Need more yeah. facial hair. <laughs> All right, it's time for the two-minute warning. Ryan, what do we got? All right, with the announcement of the 2020 Hall of Fame inductees, ceremony will be held in July at a fanless ceremony. Uh, some O's fan, Yankees fans um, are excited that they don't get to see Derek Jeter get inducted. Your thoughts? Some, I think you mean some O's fans are happy Yankees that fans. That Yankees don't fans see. don't get to see him inducted. Okay. See Jeter inducted. And wait for it. Uh, I think it's the ultimate smack in the face for Yankee fans. But, you know, listen, I, I'm not one to disrespect Derek Jeter and all the accomplishment he made. Like, as much as we hate the Yankees as Oreo fans, I respect the hell out of Derek Jeter's game and what he did for Major League Baseball. Um, it sucks that he's getting inducted during these times, but it is kind of what it is. But I would never rub it in his face or, you know, anybody's face for uh, not having fans there. Yeah, I mean, they held it off last year because of COVID in hopes that it would come back this year. And this year, they just kind of made the decision, like, we can't we can't just hold off the 2019 class until 2022 or 2023, whenever the hell we get to do this again. So I, I get it. Um Honestly, I think it sucks. I think I think it, it sucks suck. for the Yankees fan. You know, like you said, I think it, you summed it up really well. I, I hate the Yankees, but I respect the fuck out of Jared Jeter. Jared Jeter. <laughs> do you think? Do you think Tom Brady disrespected the Lombardi Trophy when he passed it over to the boat next next boat? Absolutely not. Let me ask you a question: How many Super Bowl wins does Tom Brady have at this point? Seven. 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 The Vince Lombardi trophy is going to be the Tom Brady trophy at some point. Like, that's how good Tom Brady... Tom Brady can do whatever the fuck he wants with the Lombardi trophy. If he wants to throw it from boat to boat, no, it's not a disrespect thing. I, I get it. Like, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, first off. Uh, I get the, the, the person's thing of, like, they're just taking this thing that... Time and effort was was put into crafting these Lombardi trophies. This isn't something that you just pop in a mold. Right. And these, these are actually handcrafted every single year. So Rob Gronkowski swung it like a baseball bat and hit a baseball with it. Remember, he put a dent in one. Yes, but 
I think the other thing is, is he also didn't almost lose it in the fucking Tampa Bay. No. Right? Like, that's the Can difference. Can you imagine if they had to pay security to sit there to make sure scuba divers did not go right. steal it before they could get it back? I, I would have loved to have seen a drunk Tom Brady dive into the water going to look for the Vince Barbarian. come back up. It would have been drunk. absolutely fucking hilarious, oh, man. man. <laughs> All right, Scott. Sign us out of here, man. Good show. Well, good show, gentlemen. Good show. Uh, stay tuned for the After Hours. Garnett, I know you're still out there, buddy. Uh, give us a minute, and then you, will, you can call in. Make sure you also check us out on our website, www.birdlandbs.com. We got all of our episodes there. We can You can learn about each of us. You can contact us. Latest episode of Shell and Tell is up, so you guys can go check that out yep. there. Get yourself some Birdland BS gear. I'm the only one that ever fucking supports this place. I got it, it all over my car and everywhere else. We're gonna we're gonna wrap your car. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> Sounds awesome. I might have a work truck awesome. that we can wrap here soon. We'll there see. we go. Uh, <laughs> make sure you also put, check us out bigplay.com and also birdlandsports.com. If you want to have your opinion topic heard on the show, just add us at Birdland BS is how you find us on all of our social media pages. Comment, like, subscribe, everything. Leave us those comments. Send us a message. I know that Craig Zero has been doing it a lot, yeah. sending us some messages. So we'll talk about that in the after hours, Craig, if you're still listening. Also, make sure you check out the audio version of our podcast, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. Go check it out. If we're not on your app, at us and tell us so that we can try to get it on that app. We're trying to be on all platforms here. So make sure you do that. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll be back next Tuesday night, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. You guys know where to find us. For Fred, myself, Ryan, James, and COVID-bound Drew, we'll see you guys next week. See ya!